Hey, what's up? This is Andy Hurley from Fall Out Boy and the Damn Things, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast because it sucks. Hello, Gamer Nation. I'm Christopher West, D20 Radio Network sponsor, and I'm here to tell you that I never listen to the Order 66 podcast, which means GM Dave and GM Chris could get away with saying pretty much anything they like about me on the air, and I'd never know. I guess I better start listening. Douchebag. Execute Order 66. Coming at you live on Ustream and by podcast at d20radio.com. This is the Order 66 Podcast, brought to you by MapsOfMastery.com. What are you expecting me to go since I'm recording or something? Well, since you said you're going to produce the show this time, I figured you'd produce the show this time. Well, but that doesn't mean I you take the normal God <laughs> literals. Oh my gosh. Okay, pa- pardon me, Senor Dave. Please take it away. Drink, drink. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, animals of all ages. Welcome back to the Order 66 podcast, episode 165 for this Sunday, October 7th, <laughs> 2012. And um, we are here with a special episode tonight. I am GM Dave, and with me, as always, uh, my partner in crime, my... I don't know what else to call you these days, but GM Chris. <laughs> what is up, Gamer Nation? Oh, for those of you who may be tuning in for the first time... This is the Order 66 podcast, the original podcast devoted to Star Wars role-playing. And, um, gosh, it, it is kind of a funky episode tonight because I'm actually in the production chair this evening. <laughs> so that's that, that's kind of cool. Um, I don't know. It's like, it's power. You know what I'm saying? The power of the dark. It's like power! Yeah. That, that's what happens. That kind of power. <laughs> Oh man, it's been a while since we've been on the on the physical airwaves. Yeah, I uh, I don't remember when the last time we actually did a show. We've done two like what would you call them? So we've done two live play sessions. Yeah, but... like like live plays. But I mean, it wasn't until like right after Gen Con that we did a, a, like a live actual honest to goodness show. I think. Yeah, we we had Jay on and all that jazz. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's been a month and a half. <laughs> So we're overdue, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> well, it's a good thing we're here. Yes, it's an extremely it good is. thing we're here. But we have a really good show for you tonight, guys, and I am anxious to get it kicked off and started. So, without further ado, uh, we are going uh, to do uh, this. Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisition.
Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. I'm thinking that my usual announcements of doing the featured podcast is going to be oddly self-serving, so uh, why don't you take this one away? Well, I was hoping you would because you're on it, but okay. Um, so featured podcast of the week, uh, you know, obviously we, we like pimping out the various shows that are on the network, guys, and this week we're going to pimp out the third briefing from D20 Radio's gloved hand of gaming espionage and intelligence, the Gaming Security Agency. Uh, the GSA's third podcast was recently released, and GM Dave, my erstwhile co-host, and Fiddleback uh, share the best and boldest from the GSA's latest offerings, including discussion on, what, you guys talked about Fantasy Flight's new Star Wars RPG, you talked about Fiasco, uh, The One Ring. A um, couple of Kickstarter projects. A couple of Kickstarter projects that the GSA feels are worthy of your gaming dollars, listener. Um, right. and, and you talked about more than that, too. You guys talked about quite a bit. Oh, yeah. And you guys, you know, check out the show if you can. We uh, we go through, we'll do a review just about every show of something. We did Fiasco this time. Um, and we've also kind of decided we're going to sort through the oversaturated fields of Kickstarter with the help of a certain GM Chris. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm actually very excited. Do you mind if I pimp out an upcoming? No, go ahead. Okay, so... Um... Uh, if you guys listen to the podcast, I, I started doing a segment called Games That Need to Be. Like, like I think Kickstarter is – like, Dave, you said it, man. It's, like, ridiculously oversaturated. Um, I think there's a, a very high noise-to-signal ratio. So I've been looking for the signal. I've been trying to find those projects on Kickstarter, those those RPGs that are trying to get funded that are really, I, I think, worthy of our money. <laughs> they need ah. to see the light of day. Um, and obviously I did my first one uh, recently with um, – uh, Jay Little's upcoming project, uh, The Coriolis Defect, which I know we'll be talking about a little bit here in the announcement section. But I am so pleased to announce um, I have an interview Tuesday night uh, for another one of these segments with none other than the Robin D. Laws. Um, some of you may know him as the author of Robin's Rules to Good Game Mastering, uh, one of the greatest RPG books ever related, ever created. And Dave, you will know him as the writer of Og. Ah, yes, that's perfect. And uh, he has a new game he's trying to bring to Kickstarter called Hillfolk, uh, which is a, a narrative RPG uh, using a, a specialized um, engine that he's developed. Uh, he's already hit his funding goal, but we just want to blow this out of the water. It looks so awesome. So um, I'm pleased we'll be interviewing him later this week and getting that up on the next episode of the GSA. Well, totally cool. Oh, yeah. But you guys can find more great podcasts, exciting news, and wonderful things at www.d20radio.com. That's called the dub 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 for those of you that want to be chic and je ne sais quoi. Who? Je ne sais quoi. All right, dude, hit me up with our first bit of juicy web goodness. Dude. So, as always, we have this certain thing that we have a love affair with. It's called Sterling Hershey Star Wars Wednesdays. And, um, of course, if you check out his blog, he's been going every Wednesday, <clears throat> whereas we have not been going every other Sunday. But uh, <laughs> this time he's got a, an inside look, a real treat, actually, an inside look at the Star, we Star Wars Reader's Companion, which is the perfect book for the perfect who hasn't read all of the EU but just wants the Cliff's Notes. Word. So kind of like me. Word. Uh, an interview with its author, Pablo Hidalgo. 
That guy sounds like cartel to me. <laughs> yeah, also, Lu- Lucas cartel. <laughs> um, on there, you will also find a great link to um, a free collection of Expanded Universe short stories that formerly were housed on StarWars.com. And as always, you guys check it all out at SterlingHershey.com. Ooh. Silver chocolate. So speaking of StarWars.com, um, yeah. they've announced a lot of exciting pieces of news lately, but one of them I really just had to ooh and ah over being an obsessive Star Wars collector. Dude, do you – Dave, I don't know. I, I've never even asked you this. Do you collect trading cards at all? Like I know – like I mean like baseball or anything? I have uh, – <laughs> you're going to laugh at me, but I collect soccer cards. Well, that is not, that, that makes sense um, considering your proclivities. Well, <laughs> certainly you're familiar with Tops. The trading yep. card manufacturer. Well, they've been manufacturing Star Wars trading cards, I mean, since 1977, since the first film. Uh-huh. Um, and they ain't slowing down. So last month, if you guys haven't heard about this, check it out. Last month, Topps released Star Wars Galactic Files. It's this whole new card series designed to celebrate the 35th anniversary of the original Star Wars and uh, really celebrating the entire saga in this set. This is the largest set or series of cards they've ever produced. 350 cards in the set uh, with multiple finishes and rare foil stamps for you completionists. This is also the first set ever produced to feature original sketches as well as film and production art. And the kicker for me, what might make me buy a couple of cases of these, is that each box, not each case, but each box, will have a single special collectible card in it. Either a card with an actual embroidered patch built into the card, which is some of the tops does now, like for sports as well, or with an original autograph on the card by a Star Wars legend. And this list is long. It includes people they got to sign some of these cards, Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, and Carrie Fisher, just to name a few. Wow. So uh, if you are a Star Wars nerd of the nth degree like us and you wish to collect trading cards um check out this new tops line it looks really pimp so that's right and if you happen to do both i'll trade you uh yoda for Lionel messi oh Lionel messi oh i don't know who that is talk to me <laughs> uh <clears throat> talk to me about the gsa dude you know i, I want to talk about it and um obviously we talked about the podcast but um t- talk to us about the gsa man this is the brainchild of one um <clears throat> I would call him one of the biggest spares on the D20 radio network. His name is Fiddleback. Barely does anything around here. <laughs> of course, Freaking I Freaking slacker. <laughs> um, it really came out of his mind. So the Gaming Security Agency is what the GSA is short for. Um, D20 radio's intelligence and counter-gaming branch, if you will. Uh, <clears throat> it's really formatted as a blog. But it's a it's a quality blog, I would say. There's, I would think now we're over thirteen, almost fifteen, very talented writers that bring you uh, news both inside the industry and from our own brains, um, pre-generation characters, systems, uh, adventures, reviews of different systems, um, articles on world beer, world building. Um, GMing, game theory, design. I mean, anything you want is there based on the real-life experience and the ability of all of our writers. Um, there's a uh, there's the um, 
the business aspect of gaming, right? We call it the bog, the business of gaming. So it's uh, it's got a different spin on it kind of uh, as what we've done out of our own experience with uh, Gamer Nation Studios and then, you know, how Edition Wars got up and running and, and uh, what we're doing in the future to, to enhance the marketability of our of our product and our company. So, you know, you guys check it out. It's a, it's gsa.thegamernation.org is, is the big one. Uh, the big URL, or if it's really simple URL, is simply thegsa.us, and you guys can find it there. Dude, and if you're not reading this blog already, please do. I mean, if you're a fan of D20 Radio and all the podcasts and information we're putting out there, the vast majority of the writers on the GSA are, ho- are hosts or contributors or developers that have worked with us in the past. Um, so uh, it's just a wealth of knowledge, and it's a great blog, guys. Check it out. Absolutely. So lastly, I wanted to talk about some Kickstarter glory. And if you can hear the sound of my voice, I want you to listen very closely. New friend of the show, pimptastic game designer Jay Little of of Fantasy Flight fame, uh, has taken an idea of his own to the wind um, and to the digital breezes of Kickstarter. Jay's own production company is working to bring its very first RPG to the market through Kickstarter. This is an indie publishing house that he's created. And the RPG looks awesome. I talked about it with him the last episode of the GSA podcast. Um it is called the Coriolis Defect, and it's this indie RPG with a unique time-rewinding mechanic. So the Kickstarter ends on Thursday, folks, October 11th, and it has yet to meet its goal, Gamer Nation. Friends, now is the time and the place. This looks like a very cool indie RPG, and it needs our help to see the light of the gaming table. We call upon you, our friends, the Gamer Nation, to head to Kickstarter check out the Coriolis defect and pledge then take to the interwebs lads storm the twitters invade the facebook we will fight them on the land and the sea and the message boards we shall never surrender <laughs> then they shall save us never have so few done so much for so many <clears throat> were, you, were you going for Admiral Akbar? what were you going for there I don't know but seriously, guys, pimp this out, team. Pimp this out. We can make this a reality. So get to Kickstarter, check out the Coriolis Defect, and uh, tell everyone you know through any means possible. we got a l- little over three days to make this happen. Let's make it happen. All right, folks. Well, we're going to kind of go off the rails a little bit. We're going we're gonna to change up our show format a tad tonight. Um, you, ooh, dum-dum-dum. <laughs> Oh, no. It's Uh, over. It's over. Uh, So basically, uh, we really wanted to have the time to include a really awesome on-the-scene fragments from the Rim Report uh, from Celebration 6 uh, that Phil sent us, but but it's a a long one. Plus, we got another great request from a listener, which I really wanted to get into as well. So we're not going to do a docking bay tonight. Um, Instead, we're going to handle that listener request right now. So hang on real tight, real close. Hold on to your booties because uh, it's time for a hard right turn. There is a great disturbance in the force. I got a bad feeling about this. You must unlearn what you have learned. When good games go back.
Okay. Welcome. Welcome to the hallowed halls of When Good Games Go Bad, uh, where we have uh, listeners send us emails, PMs, forum posts, detailing some sticky situations they've encountered in their games, and um, asking for some advice. So, Dave, I got this really long email, like really long, <laughs> uh, from, okay. a very, from a very frustrated GM in Sacramento, California, by the name of Alberto Caretes. Am I pronouncing that correctly? I believe you are. Frustrated GM in Sacramento. Go ahead. You're on the air. <laughs> uh, oh, so, sorry. No. Um, I've abridged the email a fair bit because he pretty much went into a blow-by-blow account of about 30 minutes of gameplay. Um, but he, he, writes the, he writes the following. Hit, hit us up, Dave. What did he, what did he say? Okay, so he writes this. Dear GM Chris and GM Dave, that's us. It is us. I need help. I've been DMing for a group of my friends for almost 10 years now. And about two years ago, the group got a yearning to try something new, so we put D&D aside and started a Star Wars game. Good for you. We've been having a lot of fun with it, even though the system is canceled and hard to find the book. I've been wanting to run a skill challenge ever since I first read Galaxy of Intrigue, and I finally had the chance in our last session. Mm. It did not go well. In fact, that's an understatement. I've been listening to your show for two years now and catching up, but I listened ahead and learned about skill challenges and how they should be run. Things I took away from that, one, give your group the freedom to select any skill they want, and two, be creative and encourage them to be creative. But here's what happened. Bing, bing, bing. So, I mean, can you can you summarize for us, I guess? I mean, he went on at a... <clears throat> yeah, I can. Yeah. So the big email was basically, um, he went on to basically say moment by moment, the group skill challenge, uh, a pretty well thought out skill challenge, in our opinion, mm-hmm. uh, to enter a secure facility. So that's the goal. Um. Although, you know, obviously, thank you very much for the re- for the for the detail, because it gives us a lot of insight into the problem. But um, we can't read the whole thing on the podcast. So um, <laughs> I'm just going to boil it down to um, what it was that Jim explained to, to his situation, his characters, and, and that this would be a skill challenge. They were excited. But as far as, you know, as he went player by player, he asked them what skill they would want to use. And now here's where it went wrong. Um. To summarize, either the player spent three minutes staring at their character sheet, then declaring they weren't good enough in the skills useful to be a challenge and getting frustrated, or they just went slack-jawed and didn't get it. Two asked the GM what skill check they needed to make. (laughs) One wanted to see a map and know where a security console was. Okay, why don't you make a perception check? Where his character was, where the guards were, so he could see how many stealth checks he needed to make to get to the console based on his movement speed. <laughs> I mean, I'm reading this, and I'm like, WTF. I think, um, Alberto, you just need to find some smarter players. Sorry. I, I really said that. I'm, can I take that? Well, they, they've been with this group a long time. Um, I, <laughs> but I, I think I think there's some potentials that, that things could be better here. But, I mean... So finish finish his email for us, please. I don't know exactly where it went wrong, but they hated it, he says. So um, he went on to finish up by saying they never want to do a scale challenge again. 
I really like the mechanics and the idea. I think it can work, but I just don't know what to do. So, okay. So here it's time for us to help him out, right? Because he, he expressed a lot of frustration. He opened up in his email. Uh, he has a lot of concerns. Um, a lot of it was really just him getting his emotion, a catharsis, so to speak, out, you know, and, and um, let's, I don't know, let's, let's talk about his particular situation. What do you say? I think it's a good idea. I mean, I, I really, I got this email and I was just like, oh, it just hurt me. It hurt me bad. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I think skill challenges can be really epic when they're done right and, and really painful when they're done wrong. And uh, Alberto, from reading your entire account, I, I realize it's like it's hard, Dave, because like, I know we're only getting it from his perspective, right? Yep. But from that perspective, uh, we, we draw what conclusions we can. I'm not sure how much of this will find its resolution through the GM or through the group, maybe a little bit of both. Um, I think you, I mean, from what your email, dude, I think you went in knowing what you needed to do, man. But knowing it and enacting it are two very different things. I also think your players weren't prepared for what is, in reality, a completely different kind of role playing than they're used to. Um, so I, I don't know, man, let's, let's talk about this. Let's have, let's have a, let's have a back and forth and a discussion about this. I mean, what could he have done better? You've, you've been in skill challenges with me, man. And some sure. have been, some have been good. Some have been bad. Um, sure. uh, okay. So the first thing is I probably wouldn't have told him that it was a skill challenge. Okay. Now that's an interesting concept and I, I really like it. Okay. So what, what would you have done? I would have laid out. Here's your goal. You're trying to you're trying to uh, infiltrate this facility, um, and here's you know here's what you know about the facility itself, um, and then ask them you know what skills do they want to use to try and you know Im- improvise a way in. And you know when the dude asks about you know how many guards are there, well give me a perception check. You know that's a skill. You can use that. All right. Great, you figured out this is what it is. Another guy wants to know how do I stealth? Well, give me a stealth check. You know, I mean, do you want to? I don't know. You know, what what can you possibly use? You know, is there is there something that you see? Can you is one of them a Wookie? Use a climb check to get a better to get a bit of better vantage point. I don't. You know, there's lots of things you can do. I think and, a lot you know, is give them some ideas. Yeah, th- th- exactly. I think I think it's a little incumbent on the GM to try and encourage that creativity a bit. It's like the the best ones I run now. I won't even say what skill check do you want to use. I'll just say what do you want to do, right? And not even say it's a skill challenge. It's like okay, so you have a facility. What, what do you want to do? How do you want to get in? And one of the guys is like, well, I mean, can we like like you know can we surveil surveillance the area and look for guard patterns? I'm like, that's a great idea. Give me a perception check. And there's your first check of the skill challenge. Um, if they realize it's a skill challenge, uh, and they're cool with it being a skill challenge, tell them to turn over their character sheets. <laughs> Be like, don't look at it. Don't look at your character sheets. Just what, should, what would your character do? Don't think about what skills you're trained in. Don't think about what your bonuses are. Just what would your character do? And well, he'd probably try and climb up the wall. Okay. Well, give me a climb check. Well, my climb check's crap. <laughs> Just make the check, dude. And you have force points. It's okay. And I don't know. As a GM, too, man, and I don't know how you feel about this, Dave. I, what might be... I, I know the rules probably aren't designed for this, but for a skill challenge, what might be like a moderate or a medium DC for a character who's trained, I might bump down to an easy DC for a character that's not trained. 
it's all GM fiat, right? Rule zero. I know. Um, but I mean, have that table that's, that's there in, uh, in the book, in the skill challenge chapter itself. Um, I know. And, and just, so you have those DCs handy. It, that table's also in the GM screen, by the way, if you can get your hands on it. And, and, and do that. Um, make your DCs on the fly. Uh, gosh, what, what else, man? I mean, I like the idea of letting my players go, just come up with something absolutely crazy and just go with it. Yeah, no, that's, well, that's kind of what you were alluding to in the first place. Is, you know, what do you want to do? It's like, what do you want to But, I mean, like, when he was describing some of the actions of his players, and you talked about, that, like, he said there was the one guy who was like, okay, he wanted to see a map. Well, where are the guards? Where am I? You know, where's the console? Can I get there in one round? It's like, he, he's not understanding the concept of, I guess, abstract role play. Right. If Yeah, so these guys are probably, you know, hack and slash... You know, well, very strategic gamers, right? They're they're we. If, if he said they put down D and D, if they've been weaned on D and D and it's D twenty, they're used to a tactical, you know, combat and, and most encounters taking yep. place that way. And that's exactly what I was thinking: is that they're unfortunately polluted by D and D. I don't think you can be polluted by D and D. I happen to like D and D, but but the point is, it's. And frankly, no, man. Polluted by Saga. When, when you get right down to it, if, if you're going to use that term polluted, which I don't think is accurate, but the, the majority of the rules for Saga were, are designed for this tactical map-based combat. And skill challenges are one of the first things to concretely codify a way for you to step aside that and still have encounters with checks being made that weren't a single skill check you made in the middle of a conversation with somebody to try and intimidate them or sense a lie or something like that. Um. It's just, I don't know, it, it's very different, and it takes some getting used to. Exactly. So, I mean, that's, it's just a matter of how you want your dice pool to be, you know? Make it a little harder, add some extra dice. That's the wrong system, dude. Some dice. That's the wrong system. What? Oh. Wrong system. Right. Sorry, yeah. You've been playing, someone's been playing a little too much Edge of the Empire, just saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know... It's it's interesting. You are going to have to get your players used to a little bit more abstract, man. Um, I wouldn't. I would challenge you to do a couple things. Follow some of what we said. Try a skill challenge again, but don't let them know that's what you're doing. Just try and run it through an abstract nature. See if you can go an entire session without combat. See if that can happen. See if your group is even comfortable with that. Um, they may not be. Different role players want different things out of different types of games. But it's something to consider. But either way, dude, I, I hope you'll give it another shot. Um, it is an art form. It takes a couple tries to perfect it. All right. I hope this hasn't soured you or your group on the experience forever. Um, because I do think skill challenges are one of the best things to ever happen to a D20 system. Ever. So, just saying that. Yep. So, there we go. Agreeance. There we go. And there's that. All right, Gamer Nation. Well, we are going to stop down right now. Um and get ready for an extended version of Fragments from the Rim. I really want to thank Alberto for his email. Uh, it's really great to get stuff like that. Uh, if you guys have anything you'd like to send in for the show, any questions for the show to answer, any When Good Games Go Bad segments, um, any requests, or any liners telling us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast, you can send them to us. You can send them to us by email would be, well, golly gee, preferable. Um <laughs> Golly. Golly GM, gee. Maybe GM Dave, GM Chris at d20radio.com. Well, golly gee, I think that's an excellent, excellent suggestion. That's right, by golly. <laughs> and uh, you know what? Amigo, Alberto, 
No preocupos. <laughs> I don't know what you just said. Are you in a gang? <laughs> <laughs> I told him, don't worry. Yeah. Well, there we go. Oh, heavens. All right, guys, we're going to stop down for about a good 20 minutes for a wicked cool fragments from the rim, some on-the-scene direct from Celebration 6 this past year uh, with GM Phil and some wonderful folks who sat down to talk about some inspiration for their Star Wars games they got from the con. And we will see you on the other side. On the scene. This is Darth GM from Fragments from the Rim with a very special episode here from the floor of Celebration 6 in Orlando, Florida, talking with several members of the Gamer Nation and the D20 Radio Network about their experiences, their inspirations, and what they've seen here at the con. Let's go around quickly and introduce folks that we've got here at the table. Hey, this is Vader's son from the forums, otherwise known as Duncan. Hi, I'm Bob Farnsworth. I'm... GM Bob, and I'm an epic gamer. This is Anne-Marie Schaefer, and I play games. Chris Bradshaw, otherwise known as GM Chance. And I'm Eric Schaefer, Adam Scott FM on the boards. So, to start off things really briefly, we've been here for four days, some of us even longer. Uh, what have you seen at the con that has inspired you? Uh, with your, with, Have you seen that... You know, you've seen something that's really going to be inspirational for your game, uh, something that just calls out to you, or or have you had any experiences with anyone, uh, you know, celebrities or, or other gamers, other customers, and uh, anything that's that's really drawing you towards you and making you excited for your next game? Well, the uh, NPR radio that they did last night was amazing. They had uh, all the a lot of the voice actors from the Clone Wars. And they did a radio drama, uh, very much on the fly for the actors, which was cool to find out. Oh, that's uh, cool. They did a wonderful job. There were like like three mishaps in the entire half hour or they 45 minutes a, that they did. They picked up the script at 5.30. Yeah, it was yeah. garbage. Uh, yeah, you got Sam Witwer, uh, Ashley Eckenstein, a whole host of other very prominent voice actors doing sound effects, uh, the, the different characters. It's called Smuggler's Gambit. It was set between episodes four and five where Han Solo is helping... Uh, find a location for the rebels to hide, and some of the shenanigans that happen during that, and a slight brief moment where he's like, you know what, I'm out of here. I don't, I don't need the rebellion. Don't need to, to mess with them. Let's go, Chewie. And some of the shenanigans they run into outside of helping the rebels, <laughs> they slow at the by the end bring the, them back to it. The it, history it, they've had. Yes. Yeah. So it was uh, very interesting to just see the flow of uh, creativity coming out of that. Um, you know, it kind of revs up for a, a you know a new campaign in that kind of time frame. Bob, you like the uh, the Roxy the Rancor? Roxy the Rancor was cool. It was uh, more than life size, more than human size. <laughs> <laughs> you know, George Lucas actually came over and signed it. I saw the photo of that. Cool, yeah. Luca, oh, Lucas that signed the uh, manacle or, or whatever it is around his arm. Yeah, Uncle George has been sneaking around here very much. So. <laughs> yes, he's very uh, low key. He's we very, may have, yeah. We may have to make a like a spy character or something. And, and, and incorporate <laughs> the name George, somehow. Yeah. Well, baby was, George Lucas was in the costume masquerade yesterday. Oh, no He way. was like a year old, and they painted a beard on him, and they shoved a pillow in his shirt, and he was wandering around in a little limited edition <laughs> flannel shirt. Please tell me that one. No, no it, it didn't, didn't. But the there were two baby Wookiees that got... Two baby oh. Wookiees got third place. Uh, the kid who won was the Scorch... That took the photos the with the rest school. of the RC squad. Hey, being yeah. an RC myself, that was a wonderful costume, very well made. Seriously Republic good. Commando, that is. Absolutely. Oh, sorry. Yes, for those not 
<laughs> yes, because you have a Scorch. I have a Scorch. Excellent. And the Scorch one, he actually built it himself. They were like, yeah, his dad is not part of the 501st. He did not make this one for him. Oh, wow. Yeah. That makes it wow. more impressive. Yeah, so that was, because yeah. the other Arc Republic Commando that was around, it was, you know, his dad it was, helped it was a joint it. effort, yes. but yeah. the Scorch Kid, like, yeah. was, they were like, yeah, no, he wow. did this himself. That's great. Yeah, the yeah. Mega Squad, There's a future the, 501st. The, the Mini Omega Squad yeah. Republic Commando is kind of cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I now, mean, they were all cool, but it was really yeah. impressive that he now, did Now, Anne-Marie, speaking of the costume pageant, you had some pretty interesting role-playing going on yesterday as you were walking around in your brand-new mother Towson outfit. <laughs> yes, oh, yes, I was. Yes. Um, and I was having quite a bit of fun with that, especially because I've spent the last couple weeks trying to practice the voice. Okay. Um, so I, there was one other Mother Towson wandering around, but I do not believe that she was telling people, you're welcome for taking pictures and such. <laughs> and I did get to um, fondle the chest of a Savage Opress and tell him how strong he was. A uh. perfect male specimen. <laughs> so that was fun. I see a dark side campaign coming up. Yeah, quite possibly. Crash landing on Dathomir. <laughs> yeah. Duncan, how about you? What uh, gaming experiences have you had at the con thus far? Actually, the biggest thing is I've actually been doing the uh, X-Wing. So it's not really role-playing related, but the new Fantasy Flight X-Wing game is really good at capturing the feel of space combat. That is, That was pretty tight. You and I had a game of that the other day, and that really was pretty fun. Um, as far as price point goes, I think it's a little outside my budget right now, but I could certainly see me picking it up later on. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting, and the, the, the fact that there's finally scale miniatures that are to each other's scale for certain shifts is really nice, finally. Oh, yeah, because yeah. the Millennium Falcon that they preview here is huge. The thing's oh. like, what, five, six inches long? Yeah, yep. compared mm-hmm. to the TIE Fighter's size. They're about an inch, X-Wing an inch and a half. Size, yeah. Yeah, t- the TIE Wings are about two inches. Was? Oh, yeah. Like A-wings a little pumpkin nice seed. The A-wings are small. You know, another thing that's a good uh, tag for role-playing is I was in the Bounty Hunt on Thursday, which is a contest they do here where they give you clues that you have to decipher the clues to get your targets or a clue to do your target, and then you have to run all over the convention hall finding bounties. Right. Um, and that could be a real interesting way to run a campaign or even just a few one-shot adventures of a group of bounty hunters trying to go around and find targets. And uh, I always keep the clue packets because some of them are very in-character type clues. You know, oh, yeah. You receive this uh, garbled transmission and need to clean it up to find your target or something like that. Yep. So there's definitely some, some hooks there that can be used in a role-playing campaign. Could you see that at like a future Gen Con or just whatever convention that, that's in your area, you take your role-playing group to the convention with some pre-planned, find these bounties, give me a cell picture, whatever is your yeah. confirmed kill or your capture. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. Incorporate awesome. some real life stuff going on. That's not a great idea. That's a real good idea. Mm-hmm. Yep. I remember that at one convention I was at the Mandalorian Mercs, who I think was doing running the uh, the bounty hunt here. Um, they had a they had made a poster because they worked with the Rebel Legion and with the M- uh, with the uh, 501st. In Actually, our area. I made the poster. You made the poster. Excellent. I made the poster. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I did all of their graphic work. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's what it was. Okay. So uh, Anne Marie did the graphic work, and it had our actual photos of our act- us in our actual costumes. Like you had to go find these people, and wow. what was it? Take their picture or? What? Yeah, it was taking a picture with them, okay. and then if you got enough of them and like went back, then. You were entered in a raffle for the Death Watch helmet. It was raffle for the uh, Death Watch helmet that yeah. I made. There so you go. it was wow. like if you went around and you completed the bounty hunt, then you—that was how you earned a raffle spot to get the Death Watch helmet, which was awesome. fully painted and ready to wear. And once again, circling back to people in costumes, 
We come to Eric with Open your door. Krell outfit. General Krell. My general catastrophe, yeah. That was... <laughs> Dude, that was awesome. We'll, we'll get some photos for the rest of the Gamer Nation, but you, as General Krell, for those of you who don't remember, that four-part episode of the Clone Wars where that Besselisk, Besselisk. the Besselisk general, comes up, takes over the 501st, and promptly tries to get them all killed... The four-armed, double-bladed lightsabers? Yeah, Eric did that. that. Guy. Eric, Eric <laughs> took it on, and Eric was a champ with it. 18-inch uh, drywall stilts. Uh, we had... It was awesome. ...covered awesome. in foam. Had two machined aluminum double-bladed lightsabers. A uh, That folded. That folded. They, that were, folded. they actually folded up and could lock into position at my sides. And... Um, I was walking very, very slowly. Very <laughs> slowly. Let's but you were not. getting into that character, too. I, I was. It was fun to, because um, we did a, a panel costuming the Clone Wars, and I was fortunate enough that members of the 501st Legion who had uh, animated style armor were willing to accompany me into the panel, uh, storm the panel, go right up front, and basically serve as uh, examples for the, the people in the panel. And then we left the panel, and crashed Dave Filoni's panel. Yes. <laughs> he was nice. not expecting us, and what was it that he said? Uh, oh, well, oh. Oh, my, it. look, it's some of my characters, and is that a Krell? <laughs> 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 he made some offhanded comment at San Diego Comic-Con saying, oh, yeah, I'd love to see this costume done and that costume done. I'd love to see a Krell, but I don't think anyone could pull it off. Okay. Uh, it was um, his blog on StarWars.com. Oh, okay. He had mentioned, uh, well, I'm looking forward to seeing what the 501st has in store, all of these different costumes. I'd love to see uh, a couple of Bo-Katan. I'd really love to see a General Krell, but that would be a massive undertaking. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Yep. <laughs> it looked good, yeah. Thank you. It looks tiring, though. Yes. It is, it is exhausting. Yeah. What were you saying? Each I'd, leg was 35 pounds? Each leg uh, was 35 pounds, so I had about 70 pounds between the drywall stilts, the foam, the wire, the additional support to the feet, so that didn't break. Um, and, yeah, yeah, it was it was quite weighty. The lightsabers are not exactly light. No. 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 I'm machined aluminum and an odd balance to them, too. So. Yeah. We were... Chris, I was walking Chris back to his car as we passed you, and I guess it was near the end of you wearing it, and you were walking really slowly. <laughs> and we just, like, walked right past you. I was like, oh. and just, uh, oh, wow, that looks tiring. Yeah. After a while, I was using my breathing to set a rhythm for each step. So it was like, <laughs> inhale, step. Exhale. Step. <laughs> well, also because the feet base is so large, you have to. He has to widen his stance. So when he oh. starts to get tired, his legs try and walk like normal, and then he bumps into his own legs, and Ooh. that's bad. And since you're about eight feet up in the air, yeah, <laughs> I'm walking on a 14-inch platform, uh, diameter platform for oh, each yeah. foot. Let's get it back to the game really briefly and finish it up with one quick round. With the new release of at least the beta edition rules of Edge of the Empire, I wanted to ask this question: Are you still playing? Are you still playing Star Wars? And with Edge of the Empire now out, do you anticipate that you're going to stick with Saga for a little while, or are you going to give Edge of Empire a crack? I'm looking at giving Edge of Empire a crack. Okay. Because uh, I just started reading the rules, and it's like, yeah, this is a good beginning. So I was can't wait till I get a group together and play. Okay. Um, I imagine that I will be sticking with Saga for a little while. My husband, Eric, is planning a, to GM a new game for us, but I did buy him the Edge of the Empire beta book for him to 
read as our anniversary presents on the way home on the train. Aww. So I'm sure I'm sure that that will be somewhere in our near future, but it might not be the next big game. Okay. Well, for me, I, I I'm rules agnostic. I mean, half the time I kind of make up some of my own stuff as I'm dreaming anyway. So. Uh, I like what I've heard about the new system. I haven't actually sat down and read it. I do have a copy of it. Uh, Saga is, is is very solid, but one distinct difference that I'm learning is that Saga it plays well for miniatures, for miniatures combat, uh, and, and turn control, where the new system, it, you don't even need, you know, there's no miniatures, there's no maps. It's it's going back to old school gaming sure. of imagination. Yeah. And I like that. So I see doing both. So basically, my wife half answered the question for me. Um, I'm getting You're ready. To, thank you, dear. I'm getting ready to plan a, a game right now for my gaming group and picking up the the Age of the Edge of Empires game. But it looks really good. It looks very interesting. But um, I do like working with the maps. I do like having something a little bit more tangible, and I think that it helps keep the players a little bit more focused on what's going on. And Really, I don't want to throw out all the map work I've been doing for the last few months. So, well, the other thing that's interesting, I thought, with uh, Edge of the Empire is that they don't have the dice yet. There are no die yet, so they're yeah. like, "There's an app for the die," I and they're like shaking own. the iPad. Yeah, it's a, you but there's stickers. Dice, and you put stickers on them for now, but which would be, which is cool. But I don't know. I I still like the availability and functionality of, okay, well, just go pick up a, a set of dice. You can just go grab the tube from your local gaming store and go. You don't need to buy anything special to play this game. Uh, if, you were, if you're a GM, you have to get the books. You have to do these different things. But you can hand out the sheets to your players, and you're ready to go. With this game, it's like, okay, well, now we need to get special sets of dice. We can't just use things that are laying around. Yep. Well, to so, one degree, I suppose if you if you make up a key code, like one is like this symbol, two is this symbol, three actually, is Actually, that is in the book. That That's what they've book, done? Yeah. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Near the so, back, yeah. So they got, they've got a key code, so you can, you can at least use your dice as long as you're able to reference the key code. And I'm sure after a session or two of play, any... Any respectable GM worth his salt will have that table memorized and, and yeah. down. Or at least photocopied and handed out to all the people at the table. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, that too. Yeah. I mean, it's it's beta, so it's still early in stages and everything. So it's like, yeah, this is interesting. I'd like to try this, but it's early yet. And they'll get feedback, and they'll get refined, and, and what we get in the end may not even be the same game. I have a hunch it is. They're probably fine-tuning it. Uh, someone brought up the point. It's like the difference between edition one. Uh, was it you, maybe, Chris? Uh, it's the difference between edition one of the Saga Core rulebook and edition two, where there had a second edition, a second edition of the main rulebook, second printing anyway, had all this errata in it, oh, had all the yeah. corrections, um, and it, it clarified a bunch of things, and it, and it took away a, l- a little bit of the the, the the twinkness of a few things. Uh, a couple things got nerfed, but a couple things got really well and better balanced. I do like the setting of the new rules in that it's going to take everything out to the rim. Yeah, this main book is a real first focus on the fringe of society. Everybody doesn't have to be really good or really bad. They can be a little bit each. Adding shades of gray, yes. Shades of gray, yes. But if you want to play Rebels, if you want to play Jedi, you're, you're, shades you have to wait for <laughs> book two, book three. Different yeah. game. <laughs> and if you want to play in the prequel, I mean, there's no, doesn't not seem to be, be much of anything yet for prequel or older heirs or other heirs like Legacy. 
They'll yeah. expand it. They'll expand it. Well, and, and you also got to think of it this way, though. I, I've heard that complaint a lot, especially with the book two and three to play the others. You've got the, the, the basic rules in the game, that the rule system itself. The rest of it, you can fill a lot of the blanks in yourself. And it's color. I mean, come on. We're not new to this stuff. No. Right. No. You know, oh, we want to play in prequel? Okay, what? That's the difference of you know, you know, 20, 30 years? Yeah. Okay, here's the core stats. Let me go to my Saga Edition books where all the other <laughs> fluff is and compare. And okay, yep. great. Yeah. yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see if they decide, because we really don't have, we have the uh, the Clone Wars campaign guide and the Galaxy of War book for, for Saga, but as they keep developing the Clone Wars cartoon show, I'm interested to see what Fantasy Flight does as far as with the developing nature of that show and what they decide to include and disclose, if they decide that they're going to go that route for before book five. Yeah. yeah. Because I want to play a Besselisk Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> on paper. On paper. As on opposed paper. to walking around yeah, the con. It's too tiring in real life. Exactly. It's, just, <laughs> it's sweaty, the gel just collects. It gross. Not, yeah, gross. nine months of making a costume to wear it for three hours. Let's do this on paper. <laughs> Man, these dice are heavy. <laughs> well, folks, thank you once again for uh, joining me and helping me out with this production. And, uh, and until next time, Gamer Nation, 20 side up, one side down. Unless you're using those new dice, then uh, always roll explosions on your attack rolls and defenses on your uh, defenses. Triumphs. Triumphs. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Again, thank you very much, Phil, and everyone else. It was great to hear Duncan again. Uh, Duncan, if you're listening, we haven't gotten a bumper from you in far too long. Just throwing that out there. We need some Gungan love, buddy. Gungan love. So there. But now, we're going to do this. Are you certain that that's the music you wanted to play right there? Yes, it is. Okay. So tonight, by listener request, we return to a highly popular new segment inspired by longtime listener Crimson Steel, which we call Time to Play. Now, throughout the history of Order 66, we've provided what we consider to be well-thought-out tidbits on running adventures based on a theme. And again, to clarify, not a Star Wars era, but a theme. A genre, if you will, that honestly is independent of any era or any system or setting, for that matter. And we've got ideas, tips, tricks, and best practices to deliver on a very specific themes in a session. Now, in prior Time to Play segments, we've taken a long look at creating games with the themes of horror and, more recently, gumshoe noir. But tonight, we are inspired by a forum request from a man with his fingers glued to the keyboard, apparently, if you see his D20 radio forum activity. That would be a way put your weapon. Ah, yes. So what does he write to us, sir? He writes, I would like to request a time-to-play segment on emphasizing the high seas aspect of the Star Wars galaxy. Pirates, mateys! Pirate ships, privateers, buxom wenches, boarding actions, swashbuckling sword fights. Secret coves and buried treasure fit very well into Star Wars, and I'd like to see how you guys introduce these themes into your games. Avast ye swab! Yar! Uh, 
That sounds like a right ah hua. Trice up. <laughs> well, that sounds like a right fine idea to me, me hearties. Um, but in all seriousness, yeah, man, themes of privateering and piracy have been a core sp- part of Star Wars role playing since the WEG days, and have been in our hearts and heads since we saw Han Solo on the screen to begin with. But in a galaxy so far, far away, filled with lightsabers and Sith lords, where is the best place to find a good spot for scallywags, sea dogs, and skullduggery? What ways can you, as a GM, use to inject the themes of a piracy-centered campaign into your play sessions? Well, we're going to do our best tonight to find out. So grab your peg legs, ye salty dogs, adjust your eye patches, and set sail for the stars with us on the search for gaming booty. As tonight, it is time to play Pirates Yar. Hey boys, it's time to play. Ah, time to play. Time to play, time to play. Dave, are you ready to play? Well, that's kind of a personal question, but yeah. Well, it's not that personal. I mean, God. Yeah. They didn't say what we were going to be playing, just that we'd be playing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Let's talk pirates. I think this is a great request, and I'm, I'm anxious to do it. Um really had fun preparing the show notes so talk to me about some some pirate inspiration dude you know we normally start these time to plays talking about you know the general theme behind it all so so hit me up with some pirate inspiration man all right pirate inspiration check uh you know as you know and uh, all of our audience here in the chat room hello chat room by the way hello chat room uh pirates have had a on again off again relationship with pop culture you know talk like a pirate day achieved a new <laughs> i don't know a new high in my opinion of uh, of of uh, um uh, scrutiny i guess you can say when the white house put out a picture of obama sitting with a uh, sitting with a pirate and then fox news of course ran it like it was real instead of uh the gag that it was on Talk Like a Pirate Day. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Um, but anyway, I mean, pop culture seems to have embraced pirates again. And um, I, for one, am glad that they're back. Me too. Um, so to clarify, you know, when we're talking pirates, we're talking about the romanticizing of a period of time in piracy during the colonial era. Right. This quote-unquote golden age of piracy during the age of exploration created some of the most vivid characters that you would see in this period of history and given rise to countless tales of dashing rogues with a love of freedom you know all that pesky murder and theft just ignore all that stuff just ignore all that yeah yeah Yeah. you know (laughs) um well uh, as as kind of as usual you know we'll point you to a couple of films to kind of get you in the mood so to speak for for the theme and give you inspiration. And so um, uh, there's been a lot of pilot mo- uh, uh, pirate movies. I mean, a, a lot. lot of pirate movies. A lot, a lot, a whole lot. Yeah, some great, some not so great. But I mean, um, 
maybe a few that you should watch. Just a couple. Dude, are you a fan of the classics, the classic pirate films? Oh, I would say maybe along the lines of like the Crimson Pirate. Okay, fair, fair. You know, back in the 30s and 40s, you know. I don't know if they're that old. Well, I know, like, I think Pirate was in, like, the 50s, I think. Um, okay. But, yeah. like, okay, like when I was a kid, I um, whenever I would go over to my grandma and grandpa's, I would spend the evenings watching old TV with them and, like, w- you know, watching these old pirate flicks that would come on Disney or whatever. Uh, it's, a, it's got a place in my mind. Um, yeah. Things like uh, the Seahawk, uh, I think it was in, like, 1940. Um, oh, dude, I forgot about the Seahawk. The Seahawk. But did you forget about, of course, one of the greatest pirate movies of all time, the infamous and much-loved Captain Blood, 1935. Captain um, Blood. No, notice, of course, that both the Seahawk and Captain Blood yeah. star Errol Flynn. Errol Flynn. That should, yep. that should tell you something. A um, little bit. <laughs> uh, so those are some good suggestions. If you want to get that classic swashbuckling privateering feel, The Crimson Pirate's great, dude. I, I love that one. It's a good flick. Um, Seahawk, Captain Blood. I like looking for... I think there's some pirate films where you might not expect them to be. Um, there are some films out there that aren't really about the colonial pirating era, but they really do give you the swashbuckling, smuggling pirate feel. Either they're set in a completely different time and or place, or they only touch on pirates, but they're great examples of the themes that you're going to want to bring into your game, so you should watch these films. Um, this is from my childhood, dude. Did you remember The Goonies? Dude, how can I forget The Goonies? Dude, 1985. The truffle shuffle, man. I mean, that was... Can can you do the truffle shuffle? Oh, of course I can do the truffle shuffle. There's no doubt in my mind I can do the truffle shuffle. And and who hasn't been in a crowded movie theater and gone, and thrown stuff over the balcony? I mean, who hasn't done that? Hey, you guys. (laughs) So, okay, we all know the Goonies, and those are things you remember about it, but... Go back as an adult and watch this. It's actually on the Netflix InstaQue, by the way. Um, you know, for seven bucks a month, you can watch it. Watch it. Watch it as an adult. And then when you're finished, praise Spielberg for understanding this genre of pirates so well that he actually worked it into a coming-of-age flick. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, what else from more recent times where you might not expect it? Uh, some films out there. Um, oh man, you know it's inconceivable to think that you that pirates would be part of this movie, but it is indirectly, yes. So I assume you're talking about the Princess Bride. That is the Princess Bride, dude. I mean, it's it's obviously it's not it's it's kind of a love story, but it's not directly about pirates. But but the there, there is a, a pirate that's a big part of it. You know, yeah. but like the, the swashbuckling in that film. Um. It just uh, it, first of all, it's a, it's a damn good movie, so you should watch it. But yeah, um, the themes that are present in that film, you're going to see a lot of that in what we're talking about tonight as well. And That's right. the last on my list for pirates, where you might not expect it, it should be pretty obvious to anyone listening. But I'm just going to say it: if you haven't already gotten the script memorized, you need to go watch Serenity. Okay. One, Joss Whedon is a rare talent, and his crew of misfit smugglers and space pirates really carry these themes through each episode of Firefly and then later into the feature film. Um, Serenity is a phenomenal example of this genre, and and considering the fact that it takes place in space, 
um, it should definitely <laughs> it should definitely be in your staple of of films to watch to get yourself revved up for this style of adventure. Right. That's right. We can't all be Inigo Montoya. Yeah. You kill my father. Prepare to die. And now he's a DM who has a problem with skill challenges. Just <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. You know, we're talking about these films. We're looking at modern cinema. Oh, God, please don't. Please don't. I'm gonna, because it needs to be said. I love it. In the last decade, pirates have become immensely popular again due to one man, and that man is Johnny Depp. Uh Love him, hate him, love the films, hate the films. Gore Verbinski made the decision to start making dyed-in-the-wool, pure colonial-era pirate flicks again, and one of them was actually pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I'm talking about the first one, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, came out in 2003. If you can weave your way through the haze of subsequent marketing and three really bad sequels, you might just enjoy the first film of the Pirates franchise. Um, Because it's a good film. It's got a tight script and good performances. And I'm sorry, you groan, but it's a good film. On its own, it's a good film. I mean, the love story's a little sappy. It's got Orlando Bloom in it, but I mean, other than other than that, um, other than that, uh, you know, it's 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 there, um, and it, it's a good pirate flick, and it's there. Um, oh, I, I see. Uh, Brian's in chat. He's like, he's like, don't forget the Pirates of Penzance. Of course, um, uh, <laughs> Pirates of Penzance, very good. Um, oh, they're coming out with them in the chat right now. Uh, that old cartoon, Pirates of Dark Waters. Oh, dude. Uh, did you just say Cutthroat Island with Gina Davis? <laughs> the movie was awful. I know. It's all right. You know, speaking of Orlando Bloom, I have to go off on a tangent. I did a, uh, uh, I did a referee training course for some uh, kids in Louisville here. And, um, a girl showed up who was a senior in high school, really long blonde hair. And I looked at her and I had to do a double take because I said, Oh my God, it's Legolas. <laughs> or, I mean, Orlando Bloom looks so much like a girl in those movies. It was, <laughs> now I, I, I got sucked into watching and I was like, Holy shit, that's Chelsea. That was just in my referee class. Good Lord. <laughs> If you get a chance to read webcomics at all, uh, do a Google search for DM of the Rings. It's one of those ones where he took uh, – this guy took stills from the trilogy, from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and put word bubbles to it. It's like what if what if a group of, of role players was playing this as an actual campaign? And um, it's absolutely hilarious. And they keep joking Legolas' character. It's like, dude, are you a chick? No, I'm not a chick. Your character portrait's hot, man. <laughs> What's your name? Le- Legolas? Legolas, why don't you back that Legolas up? <laughs> oh man. Okay, pirates. <laughs> All right. So after you've checked out DM of the Rings and you've gone back and, and chuckled at the pictures of Orlando Bloom, um, start watching pirate movies: Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Pirates of Penzance, another excellent one; Serenity, The Princess Bride, Goonies, Sea Hawk, uh, Captain Blood, The Crimson Pirate. All of these films, we feel, embody the themes of pirates. They share several thematic constraints and goals, things the main characters in the overarching story are championing and pushing as the ideal. 
and more than anything, following those principles in your story and the story of your games is going to push that pirate feeling home. So let's talk about that, man. Uh, I mean, this is really the core of the advice we're going to be giving you, and this is what's going to define and set that feeling of that pirate tone. If you're not following these thematic goals, you're not doing it right. So what are these pirate themes, man? What, what, are, what uh, do we see as a continued line across any pirate story you're going to come across? Well, sir, first and foremost, personal freedom. Uh, personal freedom from just a huge value placed on personal freedom. Let's just put it at that for now, and we can expound on it. Okay. Um, but... <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is, is more than anything else, this this really defines a pirate character in our collective subconscious. The heroes in these pirate stories are unconstrained in just about every way you could possibly think of. Um, they buck the law, they society, you know, they have no control. I mean, it's just, mm. you know, I mean, it's just it's 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 chaos almost but but it's ch- championing of that as a sense yeah but, no okay, you're right but i mean but the, you're right no you're right it, it's there but i think and so from a from a game and story perspective i think that leads to certain sub points or events that commonly happen as a result of that that personal freedom in the forefront oh sure it's like you know stick it to the man so to speak right okay yeah um uh, Using the the government or whatever overseeing agency there is as as the antagonist. Uh, okay. Okay. You know, I mean, uh, heroes fighting for personal freedom, right? Like, uh, you know, just give me a ship and a star to sailor by. Arr, Yar. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, the big bad authority structure, whatever that is, becomes the natural enemy they're fighting against, right? It's it's true of a lot of pirate figures and leaders gotcha um you know as you do that you know keep in mind some authority structures i'm going to try and stay away from using the word government but you know uh, keep in mind some of those that uh, you know opposed to the big bad one you know might support or be havens for a crew of pirates similar to how some governments in the colonial era financed entire crews of privateers Uh, that's true they did you know so just you know, keep that in the back of your uh, back of your mind that you know that, that that's something you might want to bring into your game. But so okay, how does uh, that? How, so what about Star Wars then? I mean, taking that well, and putting it into a Star Wars campaign. Yeah. So the Empire, right? Is is this right. is the natural antagonist for your pirate crew? You know, they're not a highly authoritative regime, but they are, you know, evil. Yes. So, you know, it truly justifies the pirates' fight. Um, you know, if, if if the pirates are working for the rebellion, it's not far-fetched at all. No, it's really not. You know, in, in other eras, you know, a case could be made for a pirate crew seeking to avoid tariffs or inspections or any means of control, no matter how legitimate their governmental agents may be. I'll buy that. You know? Um, so... Government is an antagonist. Big point under this personal freedom theme. Um, talking about personal freedom and getting in depth in that, what that means in your game and to your characters, I like the concept that when we look at pirate stories, 
personal freedom, depending on the pirate, is both a means and an end, depending on who you're looking at. Like, unrestricted freedom means different things to different pirates. And you should expect your P PC pirates to share this goal. But just like our pirate heroes from cinema and stories, they share it for different reasons. And when we look at, person at, at freedom, personal freedom, I think we can classify it into three different strata in terms of how the character views it. Um, the first is that freedom is a means to an end. And this is going to be very common. Bottom line, most pirates desire personal freedom in order to engage in the things they want to engage in, like piracy, to make money. <laughs> and we'll be coming back to that a bit later. Um, I think from Cinema Dave, like to some extent, the crew of the Serenity has this viewpoint most of the time. It's like, we, we don't want to be burdened by the man because we want to be free to smuggle. <laughs> Right. Yeah, <laughs> so, must make money. So, must make money. Um, so, there's one option. Now, another, as a character motivation of personal freedom, is that freedom is, is, is an end unto itself. This is the middle of the spectrum. Just a yearning to be free. This, they won't take our freedom! They will never take our freedom! Now, th this is exemplified by Captain Jack Sparrow. Um, yeah, he's a pirate. Yeah, he wants money, but he he just he just wants to be free. He wants to be freedom. That's what he's about. Listen to Errol Flynn in the majority of his pirate films give the inevitable soliloquy on the deck of his ship, usually to the female lead, about the freedom of the open waves, and you'll you'll get in a moment exactly what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, this is also a very a fairly selfish view, but it's looked at as noble, unlike the previous one, where it's I want freedom so I can commit piracy and get money. The third option is really at the other end of the spectrum, and that is freedom as an ideal. This is a step up. Pure nobility. Freedom is looked at as a moral imperative. Pirates with this view fight the big bad agency or government because it's the right thing to do and because they shouldn't be controlling us. Um, this is epitomized, in my mind, of course, by Captain Malcolm Reynolds in his finer moments. Um, you know, we have to share this with the world. They're not going to get away with this. How, you know, they, they, they keep trying to control. They can't control us, you know. Um, so, I don't know. There's there's that. And, and understanding how personal freedom is going to relate to your players. And when you think about that, every when you talk about personal freedom with your players as they're building their characters, people are going to get in their heads what that means to them, whether they realize it or not. And you can start to sense out what that's going to be per player. Does that make sense? Sure. Because it's going to be one of those things. Even every player has their own genres and subtypes they like to play. And even if you say we're all going to be pirates, it's like, okay, yeah, we're all going to be pirates. You're going to have somebody that's always going to play that pirate with the freedom as an ideal. Pirate Jack Sparrow, you know, end unto itself. Or pirate, average everyday pirate, freedom is a, you know, freedom is a means to money. <laughs> so... I don't know. There is that. So, okay. That's the most important one, man. Str <laughs> personal freedom. Huge pirate theme. What's next? Um, well, okay. This is going to sound trite um, or even downright silly, but um, I'm just going to call it looking cool. Looking cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a big theme, right? I mean... No matter what, even if you want to go look Pirates, Pirates of the Caribbean, whatever. I mean, look at the costume design that goes into some of this. Yeah. And it's a major theme in pirate movies. And pirate heroes always look cool. 
always. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll buy that, yeah. You know, and, and they, they, they look good while they're looking cool. You know, <laughs> members of the opposite sex throw themselves at the pirate heroes. You know, who, uh, quite frankly, could use them like tissue paper, at least until the one comes along and may shrug them off. Uh, who knows? But um, they could know, they could they, be they could be uh, Dread Pirate Roberts, you know, remaining chaste. That's right. And until the, until they reunite with their long lost love. Their one true love. <laughs> that that smells like a character hook to me. Yeah, kind of. But all right. So, what does it mean to you? Cool locations, dude. Cool ships. Um, playing up the ability of your PCs to look cool, even in the uh, most dire of circumstances. Look, act, and be cool. Okay. You know, just uh, write it on your GM screen if you have to. Let the players look cool, and keep that in your mind every time you're describing a new scene or adjudicating some kind of situation about how flamboyant they are and doing whatever they're doing. Absolutely. I am in 100% agreement with this. You don't just jump off the balcony. You jump on a chandelier and go sailing down the balcony. That's right. Okay. I, I love it. Okay, so we have personal freedom, looking cool. The next one, I call it reckless and or crazy. This, ah, this is our chaos thing. Th- yes, and this is almost like a companion to looking cool and personal freedom in a sense. Um, it's this natural pirate axiom of being reckless and or crazy. It, it comes down to this. Watch any pirate movie, any pirate movie, from Captain Blood to Serenity, and you will find a scene where the captain comes up with a reckless slash crazy plan against impossible odds that is doomed to fail, and everyone in the crew or around questions him on it. But it always works. Always. Ultimately, assuming your PCs aren't doing this already, which I hope they are, (laughs) let them get crazy. Encourage the crazy. Don't rein them in. Push them forward. When they want to do something completely bat nuts off the wall, just let them. Encourage it. Let it be reckless and let it get wild and crazy. That is pirate. Yar. Yar. So, personal freedom, looking cool, reckless and crazy. What is our last very important major theme of pirates? The booty. Of course, it can carry a double meaning. Yeah, yeah, as you spoke about with with looking good, looking cool. Yes, yes, okay. Yes, but okay. Uh, in in this in this context, we're talking about treasure doubloons wealth money rubles <laughs> more clams credits it's a lobster <laughs> moolah schmoleons more sawbacks dough whatever the fat loot <laughs> fat loot that's it man you gotta get paid all right, whether that's treasure or money or coins or gold or whatever, this is what this is the goal for some pirates. Uh, this the end unto itself. Sometimes for mm-hmm. others, it's a necessity. It, what it's what keeps the ship going. It's what keeps the crew fed. You know, but whether the money provides for freedom or the freedom provides for more money, or maybe it's a combination of both. You cannot ignore the money. 
All right, that 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 is what's going to drive your plots in a very real sense. You know, it's the tangible goal. Your player characters are going to be, you know, going for. That's what they want. So the trick is is simply to get creative with it. Okay, so what are some? I know we've we've kind of we've kind of put these out some some ways to to handle dangling this moolah carrot you know in front of this, this this carrot of booty in front of the the players. Yeah. What are what are we talking about here? So okay, so give them a job. Give them a you know let them smuggle. Give them give them a, you know give them a patron. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Okay. You know, the best way to do it is it just to to have a patron of some sort, a fixer, a crime boss, shady contact, a uh, uh, a king or you know somebody of some governmental uh, agency of some sort i don't know you know and who simply says go do this deliver this steal this kill this whatever smuggle this and i'll pay you x so an npc gives you the quest <laughs> to use video game parlance you fulfill the quest you return to npc you get reward uh yeah kind of Okay. You've just you've just turned Star Wars into World of Warcraft. In a nutshell, if it's done poorly as. <laughs> but this is not uncommon. We see this in film all the time. It's I mean, you know, we have we have a job for you. Okay, great. <laughs> um you know, as an aside, you know, doing a lot of research for this, I was you know, we we talk about the term privateer, and obviously there's privateer prestige class in the game itself, you know. Privateer is all, often a term given to a what would you say, a civilized pirate? Oh, of course. Um, a pirate that has some sensibility. Some sensibilities. Uh, historically speaking, um, most historians define privateer as someone who is, um, who is funded, someone who had a patron, uh, who was professionally backed, um, you know, by a government agency. Uh, at that point, you're not, you're not pirating, you're privateering. <laughs> for, you know, for lack of a better term. As long as you're pirating against a country, I don't like it's privateering. For me. That's right. That's you know. right. You're not a hooker. You're a self-employed model. That's correct. <laughs> you're an escort. Um, <laughs> you know, and that, that's that's kind of where it comes down to. Having a patron can turn you into a privateer. So, okay, so there's the patron method. What's the next method? Well, dude, there's always the goonies. <laughs> you find a map. In sometimes literal, sometimes metaphorical sense. Right. Yeah, sure. I mean, but basically the PCs are their own patron at this point, working on uh, the promise or premise that there is some wealth out there that is theirs for the taking if they can find it. Gotcha. You know, that's this is where you as a GM can give clues um, to a possible trove of wealth that the adventure becomes following those clues, right? And the complications that arise from, you know, whatever that may be. I mean, you, gotcha. What was, um, you know, it's, it's funny that I'm, I'm going to mention this, but national treasure comes to mind. Dude. Yeah. How, that, that's great. If you want to see the treasure map style, you know, yeah. You you have a hunter of relics of some type, um, definitely an idealist, and he comes across something, and mm-hmm. you know he, there's no one saying, "Hey, go find this." 
he is on his own. He's like, I, whoa, hey, here's something cool. What is this? Ooh. And then this is whole story starts. That's a great movie too. It, I mean, you just, you, you gotta, you gotta check your brain for some parts of it, but it's a fun little adventure. Plus it has Nicolas Cage in it. And you know, like eh, Nick Cage. Eh. <laughs> Nick Cage. Nicholas Cage. You know, hey, what's, what's the other, um, and I, I'm forgetting it, but Tom Hanks, um, had the religious thing with the Holy Grail and all that. Tom Hanks? Yeah. Oh, oh, uh, Angels and Buster. Demons? Angels and Demons. Angels and Demons, I believe. Um, yes, yes. It's another clue-following movie. The Dan Brown books, basically. The Da Vinci Code. Angels and Demons was the prequel, and then Da Vinci Code was the big one. That was the Holy Grail one, was the Da Vinci Code. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, excellent. So... The patron method, the treasure map method, and the last method can be kind of a combination of both. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, How's it going, you old pirate? <laughs> that would be uh, that would be Han Solo trying to work out of debt. Yeah, or 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 as I like to call it, as a privateer, inverse wealth. <laughs> <laughs> inverse wealth. <laughs> Dude, I mean, what? This is Star Wars. We're, you're gonna encounter debt. You encounter debt like in the first, the, the like the second scene with Han Solo in it. You encounter debt, <laughs> mm-hmm. big debt. Um, I mean, that's the thing. If you if you think Han's a pirate, you know, like listen, I'm in this for revolution, princess. I'm in it for the money. That's be, not because he loves money. It's because he's gonna lose his ship, i.e., his freedom or his life if he doesn't get the money. <laughs> So, debt. Use it. Okay, so, booty, huge central theme. You got the patron model, you've got the treasure map model, and you've got the debt model. All very important. Couple that with reckless and or crazy, looking cool, and personal freedom. And you've got the pirate themes to permeate your adventure. So, let's talk about that adventure. Let's talk about building the session itself. So, well, great. We've got these themes. How are we going to work them in when we're crafting the actual story? What are we physically going to do? Um, you know, you, I, th- I think you can craft a really good story around these themes at a cursory glance. You can even force a normally forthright party of players to engage in piracy for a session or two. But what, Dave? We're, when we're talking about crafting a story, we're talking about crafting a story that fills an entire campaign here, right? Oh, yeah. I mean... Pirates! It's the theme of this entire campaign and the feeling and the themes. They should just just permeate the entire thing, regardless of the actual activities the PCs are engaged in from session to session. So what should you consider as you are building your pirate story? Whereas normal, you know, we like to talk about this. There's three acts to a story. There is a beginning, a middle, and an end, act one, two, and three. And they each should uh, be present in your campaign. And we have some suggestions. We have some suggestions uh, for each one of those acts. So, talk to me about about the first act, dude. About the beginning. What uh, what what are we? What what options can we give to really drive home these themes? In this start, uh there are a few options you've got. You know, so um, to set the stage is to hook your players. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, that is. Uh, the real key to making sure that your players are going to be engaged, that they're going to hold their interest, that uh, you're going to get their buy-in 
for the entire campaign, and there's a few ways to do that. Um, one that you seem to be in love with right now is uh, <laughs> the concept of of starting in the middle of something else, or in media res, if you will. Yes. Um, it's a it's a technique where the story starts in the middle of the action. Um, the heroes have already met. They already know each other. They've already gotten into a heap of some kind of trouble. And that trouble is going on when the story starts. And, you know, it's a great technique for any RPG, really. But yeah. it's it's very fitting here because it's it enforces the action-centric pirate theme that you're going for because you're already in the middle of some kind of situation. Yeah. Um, keep in mind that it, it rarely, this trouble rarely should be, um, directly related to the overarching story. I mean, maybe they're in the middle of a bar fight, but they come out looking cool, of course. Right. Which prompts a patron to approach them with, Hey, can you guys help me out? Gotcha. You know, or, you know, in the middle of a boarding action and the fight goes south and the PCs have to flee. Now they're on the run. Maybe their ship is damaged. Maybe their ship got destroyed and they're either going to need to get it repaired or steal a new ship or something. You know, this, uh, in, you know, enforce the need, of course, for the booty. For the, for the booty. So, the booty. So if you're using in-media res, it's a great idea, but it shouldn't. The 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 fight, whatever it is, should not be directly related to the overarching plot. Right. Okay. That would be best. It would be best. I'm a huge fan of um, – I've never had a chance to do this at the beginning of a game. I'm a huge fan of this next idea for the beginning, which is the flashback. You'll see this in some pirate movies and other action movies. And there's a couple great ways you can do it, but when it's done properly, it can really reinforce the overall plot and the drive of the PCs. So let's say the first encounter takes place years before the setting of the campaign. The PCs are playing themselves, but perhaps as soldiers fighting in the last battle of a hopeless war on a losing side. They fight valiantly, but their leaders surrender in the end. Flash forward, and now you know why they're pirates and why they're still together. Um, and if you can build the emotion up of that flashback scene, you can add a lot of depth to the characters through a single encounter. Um, it's very Firefly-esque, very Serenity. Um, that's a Whedon technique. He did a great. He does. He does a good job with that in a lot of his films. If you look for it. Um, another idea I've always toyed with, and I've wanted to see done. I've read about it. Um, is to start with a flashback and have the PCs play completely different characters. But those heroes are involved with the booty and or the treasure map itself, if you're using the treasure map method. Like, you're playing a group of alien warriors from an unrecognizable species a thousand years ago, fighting off a group of invaders to protect your holy artifact. Uh, you all die courageously, but before he dies, one of the PCs manages to send out a primitive data pad with a secret cipher as to the location of this holy treasure. And then when you snap forward to the PCs and you start the campaign, they can find this treasure map, MacGuffin, and the players, not the characters, know the real value of it. And it entrenches that 
that that that story in their mind and that value. You can also have them get a glimpse of what enemies they might be facing based on on who these ancients were fighting and so on and so forth. I'm really surprised that it took an hour to mention MacGuffin. Well, yeah, and, and that's a good point because booty often will the treasure map method and booty. You are going to be dealing with a lot of MacGuffins, but we will come to that. Um, that's going to be a huge part of the second and third acts. Um, I think this flashback method, uh, the same thing could be done with a group of clone troopers or ancient Jedi, um, depending on what your era is and how far back you're willing to go to show off the treasure. Like, you know, my, um, my, my, my Treasures of Destiny modules, you know, the Krillian Kite Hawk and, and its sequels? I could totally do that. We, the whole point is they're trying to go for this treasure the, you know, that, that was lost during the time of the Clone Wars. I could totally flash back in this sense and have the group who's in essence functioning in the form, in the form of pirates, go back and flash back to a group of clone troopers that are finding this treasure and dealing with it. Um, it could work. So I don't know. It, it's a cool thought and you're going to see it's a very cinematic way of doing it. Mm-hmm. So lastly, man, what for the first act for the beginning? You, oh dude, you can never go wrong. <laughs> No, no, no. There's always a tried and true, trusted method of putting your characters in a cantina. Yeah. And whatever the setting is, it just doesn't matter. And this is an inside joke from our playgroup and <laughs> basically every playgroup that you've ever had is that whenever I was there playing D&D, when I played D&D, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Everybody always started... Or at least if you had a, if you had an encounter beforehand, you wound up in very very quickly a cantina or a tavern called the Rusty Nail, and it was always called the Rusty Nail. It always was called the Rusty. It didn't Nail. Didn't matter who the GM the, was. <laughs> the the hilarious part is, you know, when that DDO came out, Dungeons and Dragons Online. Of course, the Rusty Nail was in the game. Yep. You know. Anyway. Uh, you know, it's sometimes it's okay to start your PCs in the rusty nail, or in this case, um, you know, any CD filled with aliens kind of Star Wars cantina. Hell yes. Wretched hive, you know, um, great way to meet your patron over here. Clues for a treasure map or meet that CD bounty hunter. That's going to bring your debt into focus as a motivation. (laughs) Ota, ota, solo. Oh, you owe me a Coke again. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so great ways to start the beginning and get your story rolling. Real things you could consider. Each one of these, they're going to have that piratey theme. But as the story progresses, we move to the second act, the middle. Um, the, the second act should really see the heroes well underway on their mission, uh, seeking their booty. Now, a yar. <clears throat> now, now, whether that be following the treasure map, if it's if it's a treasure map scenario, or or the instructions of their patron, you know, go here, do this. Um, this is also the act where all of that gets thrown into turmoil in some way. Um, there's a few ways this can happen. Uh, a few things we're going to suggest. The first I use frequently, and any good storyteller will, is the surprise twist. So sometimes, Dave, the booty you're seeking might not be what you think it is. <laughs> Imagine that. She turns around. You're like, damn. Uh, <laughs> but, but seriously, sometimes the treasure you're seeking isn't what you thought it was. And with this tactic, the PCs either discover a concrete clue that tells them this, 
if they don't discover the treasure outright at this stage, which is possible, but but if they do, then it seriously informs the story. The booty was never the point at that point. What what you do with it is, and that's third act we're coming to. But a surprise twist. It's not what you thought it was. Maybe maybe it's worthless, completely worthless. But you've discovered something else in its place that is worth something. Now, who do you sell it to? And for Pete's sake, what are you going to tell your patron? <laughs> um, maybe it's ridiculously powerful or incredibly dangerous. Now, the pirate PCs have a moral quandary. Just who is our patron? And did he know what this was? And what is he going to do with it? And do we really want to give this to him? Um Maybe it's already been stolen, perhaps by some competition. Uh, and now the rest of the story focuses on getting it back. Uh, that's been the plot of more than one treasure map style or, or uh, adventure uh, or pirate film. So <clears throat> I like this surprise twist, but you know your players can very well expect it. Um, so there is that, and, and you can build an entire story off that into a long-running campaign. I mean, Star Wars is rife with, frankly, there's a lot of super weapons in Star Wars, right? Yeah, yeah, occasionally. <laughs> just you know. just on occasion. Uh, yeah. You know, blueprints, data plans, there, there's all kinds of things that could cause your PCs to pause. And yeah, they're pirates and they're immoral scallywags, but you reach a point where the surprise twist is going to make you question something very important. It's like, okay, if I give this to you, what are you going to do with it? And will that threaten my personal freedom? Which is one of my number one values. What will it do right. to the galaxy, or what will it do to me in the long That's run? That's right. And in this in this one, cue up the film Sneakers. Ooh, great movie! Great freaking movie. Loved Redford's performance in that. Yep. So okay, surprise twist. Good thing for the middle second act of the story. What else? Um, you know something. Think Indiana Jones here. Competition. Hmm. You know, it's it's a nice little fallback or a standby to have the PCs encounter another party that's also vying for the booty. I mean, Goonies even, you know. I mean, yeah. obviously, the Fratellis didn't know what they were looking for, but they were still in competition just by the fact that they were following them. Absolutely. Uh, it's a great excuse for combat, adds a wrinkle to the story. So, you know, what could it be? It could be, you know, another privateer or another privateer company. Great. Okay, so who are they working for? You know, how did they find out about this? Who else knows about it? Is maybe, you know, go further and say it's really the same sponsor that put <laughs> two in conflict with one another. Maybe they'll kill each other off. Yeah. Um, it could be the big bad authority. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever the treasure is, they want it for themselves. Why? Because they need the money? Something else going on? Perhaps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, <clears throat> this way, you can provide a lot of conflict if the PCs are already at odds with the authority as well. That's very true. You know, so a little competition is always a is always kind of fun. Yeah, dude, and it, it's 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 a way to introduce a fight. <laughs> it's Absolutely. a way. It's a way to hit a combat counter in quick, easy. So, okay, when you get to the middle, surprise twist, competition. The third thing you should really consider, I love this. It's, it's, it's another classic trope for the second act. And it actually fits in beautifully with both surprise twists and competition. You can do it after both. I call it ignorant roadblocks. Uh, the PCs have been basically caught by a legitimate authority or person 
who captured them or detained them because they were up to no good. But this uh, person or authority ha- genuinely has no real clue as to what the PCs are up to or what they seek. Um, you know, they're not even – sensibly, they shouldn't even be part of the, uh, the, the, the big evil authority that you're trying to evade. Um, you know, what, what am I talking about here? Like, okay, so after the PCs have blasted their way into the vault where the treasure is supposed to be, they find that it's already been stolen. Uh, and just then the local security shows up to capture them and imprisons them for the crime. Maybe, maybe the whole caper was intended to be a setup to frame the PCs. And now they have to get out of it and then clear their names as well as get payback and find the treasure. That's a good, that's a good plot. (laughs) That's very good for an RPG adventure right there. Um, what else? As the PCs arrive in the spaceport, they go to their favorite cantina, but their ship is immediately impounded and a local sector ranger arrests them for outstanding warrants with no clue that the super dangerous artifact that threatens the galaxy is now in the competition's hands and the PCs are struggling to find it before they do something bad with it. So can the PCs talk their way out of it? Maybe convince the guy to become an ally. Um, it's like it's like you ever watch the horror flicks or the the cheesy sci-fi flicks where you know the hero kids of the story are always in the process of trying to make things right, and all of a sudden they get busted by the cops, basically, right? And they're sitting in the police station trying to explain what's going on, and the cops not buying it. You know what I mean? Yep. So ignorant roadblocks. It it can add a lot of humor uh, to the story, and it, it's a really good trope that often comes into play. And if if you play it right, it can be a way for, to showcase especially face characters or those that have a really high diplomacy um, or deception and really give them a chance to shine and maybe even uh, secure resources or an ally from this uh, ignorant roadblock as you kind of clue him into the situation. Maybe yep. you find someone who wants the treasure as well and it becomes a Coen Brothers film all of a sudden. So, <laughs> All right, man. So talk to me about the third act. Ah, uh, yes. This is the end where the adventure is finally coming to its final part, its last act. The heroes are eventually uh, caught up with their treasure, perhaps, whether they're stealing it back, finding it for the first time, whatever the case is. Uh, The important part of it is the impact of it, right? Mm. Uh, Even for pirates whose motivation is booty for booty's sake, they have to be confronted with something unexpected about the treasure or the situation that forces them into a final decision. So here's what not to do. They find it, and you as the GM say, you found the treasure. Congratulations, you won Star Wars. <laughs> no. That's that's not going to – no, 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 no. So don't ever, ever, ever do that. Um, here's what you can do instead. How about the horrible truth? Love this. This uh, very often used plot device, but they use it for a reason. The heroes find the treasure, and they find a secret about it that changes absolutely everything. Now, this is assuming they didn't find it in second act, of course. Exactly. Okay. Maybe it is maybe the blueprints to the super weapon. Right. Now what do you do with it? They could return it to the patron. They could sell it, but who would want it? What would they do with it? Should they just destroy it? Mm-hmm. It's a great opportunity to put your party into a moral dilemma. 
especially since they're going to be championing personal freedom. So what's more important? Is it the money or the reality of what will be done to the galaxy by whoever gets their hands on this? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the information that could end the current regime. Ooh. Let's say it's proof that Prince Humperdinck is planning to assassinate his bride-to-be on their wedding night. Inconceivable! Inconceivable. (laughs) Uh, A royal lineage that proves their current heir to the throne isn't sitting on it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Schematics to a machine. That makes air and water using the force. (laughs) Hey, Ricotta. Ricotta technology is what it is. That's right. You know, I mean, that's, I don't know. You know. uh, But something like that would free countless worlds from, you know. That's right. Yeah, they don't have to pay the taxes or anything to, yes, indeed. Sure. I mean, there's a good use for it, basically. Sure, yeah, there's a great use for it. That's the thing. It's a great use for it, but it's not what you were hired to do. So, you know, it's like we have this, and it's not like whoever gets a hold of it is going to... So, so okay, so you presented two scenarios. Like the first is, okay, we found out the horrible secret, and now we have to decide whether we even want to share this with anybody because it's so horrible. Or, okay, we found out the horrible secret, but then this is the serenity scenario. It's like, do I want to sell it? Or... I mean, it's not damning, but if I share this for free with everybody, it could change the galaxy in a really positive way. <laughs> you know? Uh, that's just... Ew, that's rough. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the horrible truth. Option one for Act 3. Yep. Option two is, again, <sighs> a great trope. We were just patsies. Hmm. Uh you know, we hinted at this earlier. The ending, this ending can be summed up in just a few lines of dialogue. Why, thank you, Captain, for finding this rare treasure. Dealing with the natives and bypassing all of those deadly traps. We couldn't have done it without you. We'll be relieving you of it now. <laughs> I mean, that's that, that, that's that ending. You know, perhaps your patron was simply using your skills and planning to kill you all along. Perhaps your competition realized they were outclassed. They stayed in the shadows, waiting to strike. Ultimately... This tactic reinforces that desire for personal freedom and the fight against control. Um, you're just replacing the antagonist, at least for a temporary time. But the point is that now the PCs have a personal stake to end their enemies and emerge victorious. Beyond just, I want to save my life. Which is something that, you know, is important. But honestly, not a huge motivator from a role-playing perspective. So. Yeah. That's option two. Oh... Are you ready for a sappy option? I'm always ready for a sappy option. Um, it's because we found a a greater treasure. Oh. Right, this may not work with other groups. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be the judge of what your players are obviously wanting out of the game and what how they'll react to it. Okay. And you need to do it in advance. Um basically the PCs find the treasure, discover there really is no treasure. Maybe there never was a treasure. 
Maybe it was stolen a long time ago. Maybe it decayed and is now just destroyed, not usable. Hmm. Um, maybe it was used by locals of a nearby village that found it. And they've endeared themselves to the party, build this village from nothing centuries ago, whatever. Um, this only works, though, if the actions of the PCs in their quest for the booty brought danger like onto an innocent or hapless group of people who they have to take responsibility to protect. Mm, I like that. So, you know, in my quest for the treasure, uh, you know, I've been reckless, and now the competition or the authority is bearing down and about to destroy the village outside our ancient temple, and... The treasure's not even there. It's all a big farce, but we've caused all these problems, and these people mm-hmm. are going to die. These poor Ewoks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what if they discover friends along the way and a cause that they're willing to set aside their own personal goals for, like a princess who has white gown and <laughs> calls your buddy a walking carpet? Well, Han does eventually join the Rebels, after all. That's right. Hmm. See, a very, a pretty woman or a very effeminate male does the trick here. (laughs) (laughs) Only in anime. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so we've talked about the ways to bring these various themes in and, and some good suggestions for building your story itself. Let's get into some concrete tips and tricks. Um, I think that there, there are plenty of things that you as a GM can concretely do in, in both the story and the running of the game to really capture that pirate feeling and make this kind of story easier for your players. Uh, the first for me, and this is, this is one of the first things I like to think of, is encounter design. Pirate games have an expectation. This is very important. They have an expectation of specific types of encounters that should happen that are piratey encounters. So play into it. Make these kinds of encounters because they're fun. Make them outside a pirate game. These are fun encounters. Um, the first one, of course, Dave, you can't have a pirate game without having an encounter that involves a boarding action. Yes. Of some type. Yes. I mean, th- this can be a lot of fun. Ship-to-ship combat, basically, but between individuals on both ships in personal scale. In space, this can actually be extremely tough to do, but amazing when you can pull it off. But... So, in other words, be liberal with yourself and your players, especially about the availability of spacesuits. <laughs> um, familiarize yourself with zero-G combat rules. Very important. Um, and uh, also, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, for a docked ship boarding action, Chris West of Maps of Mastery has a phenomenal map, uh, Mass Transit 3, uh, which is for sale on his website at mapsofmastery.com, one side of which is designed for a pair of docked ships in a boarding action fight. Very cool map. So check that out. Um, doing a boarding action in atmosphere can be rocking cool. Sail barges for the win. And and don't forget to have plenty of hanging ropes for people to swing from one ship yes. to the other. Uh, <laughs> and before you complain that's not Star Wars, shut up. Even Luke swung on one with a bikini Leia in Return of the Jedi. So there. Oh, yeah. Uh, so there you go. So, okay, the boarding action. Um, any other iconic encounters you should put into your story for a pirate-themed game? Well, we 
kind of mentioned it briefly before. Yeah. Like <clears throat> we could call it the pirate's watering hole. You know, you don't have to work too hard to create a CD cantina for your PCs <laughs> to slum around in. No, not usually. Nope. Um, uh, in fact, I'm tr- I'm struggling to remember a time when we've played that we didn't run into a cantina. Um, but you know, it's such a part of the pirate story. You've got to give some extra attention to it. Yeah. Make sure that you fill this um, cantina with lots of colorful characters, aliens, uh, potential patrons that are waving around treasure maps. You know, I mean. <laughs> Lots of opportunity to find something to do. Um, open up your scum and villainy. Um, go to chapter five, and <clears throat> you will find a port of call hmm. that is uh, Point Nadir. Um, very well written um, for a pirate gang, and uh, I mean. I may be oversimplifying it, but I would think you could run an entire campaign out of here. You could run an entire campaign out of Point Nadir easily. It's, it, I mean, it, it's, they have an entire chapter devoted to it. it. It's a great freaking resource. I mean, we yeah. talked we talked about it when we reviewed Scum and Villainy way back, but I can't underst- understate that. And and that like, I, I don't care whether you're playing Wag, RCR, Saga, or Edge of the Empire. Point Point Nadir can be used as it's written in that book for any set, any system, any system. I mean, obviously the stat blocks aren't going to work for anything but saga, but, but the, the characters, the locations, the maps, it can all be used. It's a great freaking protocol. Absolutely. Dude. Um, the other iconic encounter you really need to consider. And we talked about this. We touched on it in the third act. Uh, this is very much a third act encounter, maybe second act. Uh, is what I call the ancient temple filled with inexplicable traps. Uh, <laughs> this doesn't actually have to be a real ancient temple filled with traps, but hey, why not? Um, th- what, I, what I mean by the ancient temple filled with inexplicable traps is it, it, it's an encounter that represents a place where booty is hidden and the party has to work hard to overcome everything that is guarding it. Now, whether that be an ancient, whether it be a lost temple of Exarchun on Yavin 4, okay, whether that be a space station orbiting Nar Shaddaa where the Black Sun has its vaults set up. Okay, whether that be an Imperial holding facility on an uncharted moon surrounded by stormtroopers with all this intelligence inside that you need to steal. The point is, ancient temple filled with inexplicable traps and covers, encompasses all of that. This is skill challenge territory, boys and girls. As we were ominously talking about it earlier in the episode. Pull out Galaxy of Intrigue and brush up on your skill challenges. Um, if you want to go through and design an entire dungeon-style encounter and have them work through traps, that's great. Good for you. But honestly, this this kind of thing, gaining entrance to that kind of facility, overcoming those traps, a skill challenge was designed for that type of encounter. So use it. Um, okay, so outside of encounter design, we always do like to talk about peripheral sensation, right? We always champion this. We'll say it again. Using music, sound to enhance the story. Never a bad idea. Absolutely, dude. Um, 
I'm a huge fan of music in my games. Get your theme music, get your players into the feeling with the right tunes. What, man? I mean, what we need? We, 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 got, we got a pretty robust library to choose from here. Oh, I mean, just get the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack. It's beautifully scored. You know, you've got the, the earlier mentioned the Pirates of Penzance. I mean, if you want to go for a more Broadway kind of, you know, I mean, that's... Absolutely. You know, that's a, that's a couple of real good places to start. I mean... Absolutely. So there, there's a wealth out there. There's no hidden secret for a soundtrack we can give you guys. Get some pirate music going on. That's pretty much it. Yeah, um, exactly. And Cindy we'll, Lauper from the Goonies. <laughs> good enough. Oh. If, 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 dude, if you did that and you recorded you doing that for your players, I will, I will call you out on air and call you a god. Uh, <laughs> uh, so lastly... The last thing to really drive home here, man, for these tips and tricks, talk to me some a little bit about narrative description. Oh, you know what? We touched on this off the top, and it is so important that this is a <clears throat> this requires more role playing than you would think to set the stage and the feel of a pirate adventure. Yar, yar, and still, a narrative description is the biggest way you can impart any feeling and it goes way beyond how you describe things it moves into the look and the actions of npcs for example missing limbs mm. right pirates are missing limbs and they're missing organs frequently the hook <laughs> use it the former pirate turned cantina owner should have a cybernetic prosthesis for a leg or something you know and it should look like a peg leg <laughs> <laughs> You know, maybe uh, maybe the NPC couldn't afford a cybernetic eye, so he's got a metal plate riveted over the eye socket. Hell yeah! You know, I mean, I don't. You know, some kind of some kind of a, a, a electromechanical device instead of a prosthetic hand. You know, that kind of evokes that feeling of the hook. Uh, dude, I freaking love it. I think it's fantastic. You know, I, I don't know. You know what else? What else is? I mean, just. Okay, There's lots of stuff to do it. Th there is. Now, the last bit of narrative description, I really want to have a conversation about this because it, it, this is so. This is such an important part of the narrative description, and it's such an important feeling for this entire genre. And we've really only mentioned it once or twice as an adverb or an adjective. But it is the, in my opinion, most important part of narrative description and really encounter design as well that you can come up with. And it is a word. It is that word is swashbuckling. Hard, yeah, they're swashbuckling. Buckle your swash. Um, I So, it, <laughs> it's not fair, I think, or practical, to tell your PCs that you expect them to use certain weapons. But you can subtly influence them that way by equipping your NPCs with weapons that have the piratey feel. Mm. What, what you're going to see is that your PCs will start to emulate that over time. And plus, if you have a party that likes to take weapons off their fallen foes, that's what they're going to have to choose from. <laughs> is it a saber? Is it a saber? Melee combat should be the norm. It should happen frequently with lots of vibro cutlasses and vibro rapiers. Get comfortable as a GM with NPC builds that are master fencers or just really good with the blade. Uh, if you look at the privateer prestige class, both of them, they have, they have uh, a lot of talents for this, um, you know, blaster and blade, you know, on, on all those that, that really give you that, that pirate look where you got a gun in one hand and a vibro blade in the other. Um, 
you know, acrobatics checks. Uh, again, going back to the list, having multiple levels of elevation in an encounter. Uh, it's giving your PCs avenues to jump off of things, to grab ropes or chandeliers, slide down banisters. Um, you know, bringing acrobatic jump climb checks into play. Uh, it's all very swashbuckly, you know? Mm-hmm. So there is that. But I don't the know. one time that I would put a handrail in Star Wars. <laughs> so someone could slide down it? Someone could slide down it, that's right. So someone could slide down it. And that is how we do that. And with that, it is time. Mm. Come to the end of our glorious show. Oh, it's been good. Dude, this has been a fun talk. <laughs> no, yeah, it has been. I love these time to play segments. I really, really, really do. Um, but I want to give props and a big thank you to Away Put Your Weapon for this suggestion. Um, <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we want more, guys. And we want we want them now. We, we want to know what you want us to talk about. So get to the forums at www.d20radio.com slash forums. <laughs> Yar. <laughs> Give us an email, GM Chris at d20radio.com, GM David d20radio.com. Follow us on the Twitters. You can find me at GM Chris. Uh, you can find me at GM Dave. And I believe you can also follow us on the Facebooks, yes? Yes, you can follow us on the Facebook. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yar Wars. <laughs> okay, we have a show title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Yar Wars. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> thank, great. thank you guys. Oh, this is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And keep them dice rolling. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related websites, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. Post-show? Yar Wars. Yar Wars. <laughs> That's so great.
Oh, yar. Yar wars. Yar. Oh, man. Oh, that has me rolling. Oh. Yep. I, um, speaking of that, I, I, you know, I know the Packers did not play at home and they, my poor Packers just lost. Oh. To a very emotionally charged Colts team today. It was, uh, it was too bad, really. But, uh, you know, hey, it is what it is. It's that song a... always, of course, reminds me of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. Because that's where it came from. Because that's, that's where it came from, I know. Yep. Yeah. Dude, it's been a busy few weeks, man. We've been playing a lot of Edge of the Empire. <laughs> uh, we have been, and that's, uh, you know, the, the genesis of the uh, the two live play um, episodes that we kind of threw together. And, and I got I got uh, another big one in the can that I'm still trying to edit. Yeah, um, um, it's um, yeah, it, it's just kind of leading us to where inevitably we go, you know. But uh, man, it's a, it's a good system. I, I like it. I um, I took to it pretty quick. We're we're having fun with it, and it it's it's a very good system. And it it I don't know. It's it's like it's led us to a tough path. Um, it's it's led us to a very tough path and a tough decision. So we we always said we were going to do a podcast on the new system if it didn't suck, and it doesn't suck. In fact, it's really good, and we're really liking it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so radically different from right. what, I, what I'm used to playing. Um, yep. it's 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 extremely different. Um, and so we had talked about doing a new cast uh, for for the Fantasy Flight game, and we'd always said you know we were going to keep Order sixty six going, devoted to Saga. Um, but I'm I'm looking at like the shows I want to do for Order sixty six and what gets me excited and what gets me podcasting about it. And do you know what doesn't get me excited about Order sixty six anymore? What rules questions about Saga? <laughs> yeah, um, like I, I I don't know. I mean, we've been podcasting about Saga for four and a half years longer, um, and I know the system so well. So it's like the stuff that really gets me excited, like what we just did tonight, I'll be quite honest, is system neutral. Mm-hmm. When you get right down to it. Yep. So, having said all that, I mean, I think, I think, I think, Dave, I think we've come to a decision. Yeah, I believe we have. I, I believe we have. Um, we're not going to make. Go ahead. I'm not entirely sure how the the chat room is going to react yeah, when I, don't, I say I, I don't know that the Order 66 podcast will not end. It will not end. The Order 66 podcast will continue. Um, it will continue as for for forever. Uh, but we're not going to make a new podcast for Edge of the Empire. Um, right. It's, it's, yes, we are. Do you, do you, do you guys, do you guys want to do the math on that? <laughs> <laughs> I have a bad feeling about this. He so, says, so, so, feeling. so, so here's the deal guys. Um, and I'll just say this. I love saga edition. It's the best D 20 system I've ever played. Um, having said that, um, 
I've been podcasting about it for four and a half years and I'm kind of ready for something else. (laughs) And I also, it became painfully obvious to me over the last six weeks. I don't have the time to do two shows. Um, well Uh, I do, but I've got another one in the works I'm planning (laughs) that has nothing to do with a specific system. So crimson steel is on the right track. Crimson steel is on the track. Uh, yeah. Why, why change the name when it has this long a history? That's a very good point. Crimson. So, not immediately, guys, but in the next few episodes, we're going to be transitioning Order 66 off of Saga Edition. Um, and we're going to be focusing it on Fantasy Flight games. It, it, it's an active system that's coming. Uh, there's new material being produced for it, material we can pimp, material that we can uh, you know, have designers and developers come on and share with us. We can provide you guys with the stuff that drew you to Order 66 in the first place. The new hotness. The reviews, the interviews with developers, the sneak peeks and previews, and the special things that, that, that have drawn you to us in the first place. And plus, we've got unprecedented access to the Fantasy Flight guys. It's, it's just wonderful. Pretty impressive. To say that they have been cooperative and supportive would be an absolute understatement. Um, they, are, they have already, out of the gate, been as supportive as Watsy was, hands down. Um, and and so that's kind of what's going to happen, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> I fear change in the chat. <laughs> yeah. So uh, glacialis, yes. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take the, the we're going to take the feed of the Order sixty six, and we're going to call it the Order sixty six archive, and we're going to reset at episode number one with a what is at least at least right now a badass way to start a new podcast i can't say much more about it right now but my god well i'll i'll say it because it's kind of in the works but guys this has not been confirmed although we have had many parties say they're going to do it but we don't even have a date yet Mm -hmm. we're going to have a celebrity game on the air of edge of the empire and somebody very cool is going to be gming it and a bunch of very cool people are going to be playing it and i'm just going to leave it at that yeah and no, the GM's not going to be Chris. Nope. So I'll be I'll be fortunate with the guest list we're trying to get a hold of. I'll be fortunate if I get to be a player. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um. So that that's that that's that's coming. But uh, in any event, I uh, <clears throat> this was a really tough decision, Dave. It was. We went back and forth about this for uh, months since basically since Gen Con. <laughs> We've gone back and forth about it, and um, and I think that the relationship with Fantasy Flight that has come across, or that has come up so quickly, um, you know, I guess we haven't really made a huge secret of the fact that we we hooked up with Fantasy Flight, what nine months ago? Yeah, and um, you know we we've had some access to Fantasy Flight guys. And it just, you know, not that we knew it was coming. I don't think anybody knew the, the, the magnitude of what was coming and when and all that. Um, but just to say that the, that we have relationships now that, that make it so much easier for us to get content for a new show. And, you know, who said it in the, in the chat? Who, um, Rob? I'm not sure. Maybe it was Crimson. I don't remember. 
basically, you know, why change a good thing? The Order 66 podcast is a name. I mean, we walk around Gen Con with our shirts that say Order 66. Oh, you guys are the Order 66 guys. You know, if we go with Order 67 or Destiny Points or whatever, we were throwing around some names of the new podcast. We'd have to start over again. So, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to be Order 66. So I did my research. Order 66 was the first podcast ever devoted to Star Wars role-playing. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm. Um, That's right. There was no WEG. There was no RCR. There's no nothing. Not in podcast form. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of our moniker now. And I'm, I'm really cool with that. And I see order 66 going on forever. Um, it, if that means that, uh, you know, I, I, in many years when fantasy flight system is done and if, if they sub license to somebody else and the game moves to a different publisher and they come out with a new game and it doesn't suck, then we'll probably transfer order 66 to that as well. Um, I love Star Wars, and I love Star Wars role-playing, and that's what this podcast is about. I mean, just keep in mind that we know for a fact that there are three products coming from Fantasy Flight Games over the course of the next 3.3 years. And, uh, well, next three years. Mm -hmm. So you know that Edge of the Empire and and then, um, you know, we've got, that's our first property. We've got two books after that. You've got a box set coming out around Thanksgiving. You've got, um, you know, you've got so much stuff that's coming that we've got. Not only do we know that we're going to have books for at least three years, but we know we've got content for at least three years. And then obviously you've got all the content that that generates for additional time. So that I very easily see this thing going another four years, you know, a easy. A absolutely. And, and in addition, you know, they get the, the game's not even out. We have a beta. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, every week they're giving us beta updates. It's cast right. content guys. And yeah, absolutely we, we can provide an additional form to hone the beta. Mm -hmm. That's huge. That's an opportunity mm -hmm. we all should be taking advantage of. So, I'm just throwing that out there. Sparks MacGyver had a good question in the chat. He says, here's a question. Will you guys be guys be doing Saga Cast in the future? The answer is, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I would, you know, what I would <clears> see <throat> us is, is, uh, is hooking up with some of the other Saga casts that are already on the network. I can totally see that. We have, you know? we have an excellent Saga Edition podcast also on the network aside from us. And that is Threat Detected. And mm -hmm. they're going to reach a point, especially, uh, I mean, they're, they're already, it's not just a live play podcast. I mean, every other episode, you know, half the episode is devoted to tips and tricks and, and game advice outside of just the live play. Um, but they're going to reach a point also where Dawn of Defiance is going to come to an end and they're going to have run through the, the adventure. <laughs> um, so, you know, but at this point we've, we've covered all the Watsi material, all of it, all of it. So... You know, it's 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 time. Yes, this is a. That's why I, I I saw it go for go through the chat room earlier that somebody didn't know whether they were sad or happy or excited, and I think that probably sums it up for for us as well. This is this moment bittersweet for us? Yes, probably it is, because it is um, it is a transition. It's a transition away from something that we absolutely know and love, and that we've poured our hearts into. You guys know that for the last four and a half years. Um, but you know, just shy of the five year mark, we're going to transition to a new system, and you know, like anything else, D and D 
It goes from three to three point five to four and maybe five. <laughs> it's like anything else. You know, it's, it's, it's not it's five. A, it's D and D next, Dave. Yeah, yeah I'm going to call it's, it five. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Now, D&D next. That's fine. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an evolution. Now, having said this, this is not going to happen tomorrow, guys. It's not going to happen next week or next episode. Even we got a few things we have to tie up from a loose ends perspective, um, and the chat's pointing that out. We still have to do an episode on the Explorer Core. We have not forgotten about that. Um, <clears throat> we want you guys to be able to handle that in Saga Edition, and we will be talking about mechanics and rules for it. There's also one, maybe two Force Traditions. There's a lot we haven't covered, but there's a couple really hardcore ones that see common play that I'd like to go over, and we will. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, the transition is going to start uh, as we as we go through it. Mm-hmm. With it. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you said that that's the first thing i thought of uh, in, inside joke for a coworker. um <clears throat> but anyway um yeah so that's it guys we wanted to let you know about it and we wanted to talk to you about it but yeah man so long and short of it is the order 66 podcast isn't going anywhere and it's going to continue on but we're not going to be doing it about saga edition for much yeah. longer <laughs> In perpetuity. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Rob Shandy's like, it's like the end of an era. Or the end of an era, depending on your point of view. But, um... (laughs) Oh, man, so, uh, man, I'm so pumped. I Like, we gotta... I wonder, what are you... What are you doing next weekend? Are you even in town? Uh, Next weekend is uh, my daughter's homecoming. So... Um, I potentially could be available on Sunday. Okay, because we got to finish our amnesia campaign, or at least continue our amnesia campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't definitely will not be available Friday or Saturday, but uh, Sunday's okay. a possibility. Okay. Um. Okay, we'll figure it out. I don't think. <clears throat> I don't think Cat's available next weekend anyway. This coming weekend anyway. Um, but. I'm, we're, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm editing it up, and we're going to put it up. Uh, we did. I've been talking about I want to do the Amnesia campaign for a long time, Gamer Nation, where it's like, tell the PCs, okay, you guys make your characters, here's your character creation rules. Don't make a name, don't make a background, and in Edge of the Empire's case, don't make a, a motivation or an obligation for yourself. Uh, I'll handle it, and just <laughs> go. Don't even, don't even choose your equipment. Um, what? And this was such an epic... Epic game! Oh my God, we have to have it up soon. Soon. I know. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm it worried. was such a funny story. So it's like when they got to the table, I looked at their character sheets. I'm like, okay, this is your equipment. You have this. You have this. You have this, and you have this. They were like, okay. And I started as Dave alluded to earlier in the show in media res, and it was like, okay, a flash of blinding light. You're staring around a room, and I describe what's basically a bank vault. All right, with a huge vault door that's been like sliced open, um, slices and hacked. You know, engineer kind of, kind of, you know, monkeyed with it, jury rigged it open. Um, you know, there's an open p- panel on the side with all these wires trailing out of it and a toolkit attached to it. And um, I describe the characters. And I'm like, okay, you are on the floor. You have your hands raised up towards this other character, and you have a gun out, and you're pointing it at him. You two are standing over here. You have guns trained on this fourth individual, and the fourth individual, you don't have any guns out at all, and so on and so forth. And you're all pointing guns at each other in this Mexican standoff, and um, you don't remember anything. You have no idea who you are. You don't know your name. 
You have no idea where you are. You don't know these people in front of you. You're not even sure what you ate for breakfast this morning. You have no clue about anything at all. Go. <laughs> and, it, yep. and that was it. And they, they could see there was like a faint gas that's leaving the room. Um, and it was really interesting. I, I, w- I really want to post it up because it's a great example of the difference of style and play you have to have between a D20 system and this system. Um, you know, after GMing D20 for so long, you learn these ways of doing things that are needed to make a D20 game go smoothly and quickly and run fast. And in mm. essence, it's controlled railroading. Yeah. Without your players realizing you're doing it or, or right. at least accepting it when they do realize it. Right. Um, and I was really doing that the first half of the session and it, it wasn't fun, at least not for me. I wasn't having a good time and I know some of the players weren't either. Yeah. And then about halfway through the session, the last two hours of that session were the most fun I've had in about five or six years role playing. <laughs> me too. Because Cat just basically looked me in the eye and threw me completely off the rails and forced me to give my hands up and throw the dice to the winds and, and just go completely off the cuff. Yep. And it yep. was bad ass. <laughs> she just flat said no and ran away and jumped off the side. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, okay. So, you know, it's one of those things... Uh, that's a good comment. Padme's lover is in the chat, and she uh, says, uh, you, you need to do a podcast about what you're passionate about, Chris and Dave. I'm passionate about Star Wars role-playing, damn it. That's what I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. So. You're a dude, sorry. Right. Yeah, Padme's lover. Hey, man, I thought I was going for, like, a pseudo, you know, girl-on-girl kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is Padme's lover your handle on the forums? I think so. Dude, you're the dude who brought beer to Black Nova Gambit. Oh, you're a <laughs> pimp, man. You're a cool guy. Oh, now we, now, now we got people in the chat like, oh, you, 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 yeah, you. Oh, dude, that made my evening. I can't even tell you. <laughs> oh, Lisa's in the chat. Hello, Lisa. I remember you. Yeah, I had fun. I got to play. I got to play with Lisa and Cot. That that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, a little keg in the corner. That was very. That was very awesome. No. Oh yeah, Cot brings up a good point because you know we were going to start a new little segment with him. Yeah. And you know we kind of <laughs> delayed because we knew this was going to be making a big transition and. I don't know. Maybe we just need to talk through what we can do. Yeah, and and I'll I'll say it. Crimson Steel. Uh, it was in the process of making a new segment as well, um, dude. That's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to give you feedback. I've been kind of having you wait in the wings. I really apologize for keeping you on hold about that. We've had we've had we've had Cot and and Crimson Steel both of like, hey, we want to do some segments, and we're like, yeah. okay, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, Not um, really until, until we what could the really the show was going to be. Yeah, but we yeah. we we didn't we didn't know what we were going to do just yet. So we've had a couple people waiting in the wings. I, I, I do apologize about that. Um, so th- there is there. The one person we haven't discussed this with is Phil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Fragments from the rim. And the funny thing is that that could continue. 
you, in its present form. I uh, mean, because oh, you, we're talking about the Outer Rim. You you better believe it. But he needs to, yeah, absolutely. He needs to finish up the lightsaber forms, and I'll be I'll be a happy man. But we'll have a few episodes left of Pure yeah. Saga to take care of that, so I'm not too worried. Yeah. So. But yeah, I mean, I could conceivably see us ready to go out of the gate with three or four really good listener bits, which no other podcast starts episode one with three listener bits, you know? Uh, unless you're Chronicles. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. It's been a good run, guys. We uh, thank all of you, of course, for it. And it's going to get even better. Yeah, you better believe. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to it. But we're going to keep you guys updated on when things shift, um, well in advance of when the of when the uh, when the when the feed will be reset. Um, so yep. we'll we'll most certainly take care of that. Yep. Um, um, one I'd like to touch on one thing that is uh, Edition Wars related. Mm-hmm. Um, those of you within the sound of my voice that are in Europe, um, we've had two or three instances of people who have not gotten their stuff. Um, we have had documented instances of people who have gotten their stuff. Um, the delivery time frame on that has passed. You should have it now. Um, everything um, going to Europe has gone to Europe. Um, and uh, I want to say that like October no, oh, I take it back. No, yeah, like October 2nd was the last day that any of those packages should have arrived, which was last Tuesday. So um, if you're within the sound of our voice, and please send us um, your shipping information, the name that you signed up on, uh, and I'll put this up on our Kickstarter too, your Kickstarter name, if you had a different name when you did your survey. Um, and likewise, there are people that I have tried to contact on Kickstarter. There are eight there are eight people that I never got a survey for and that I've never been able to contact on Kickstarter. So if you're one of those people, then that's why you never got your game. But, um, you know, it is what it is. I just need to know that um, before we uh, before we instigate a, a giant, uh, you know, track down caper, if you will, because we, we lose our ability to track international mail. So that's, that's, that's yeah. the unfortunate part. This is a good point, Dave. Thank you. Um... Oh, people are asking in the chat for Gen Con next year, will there still be uh, Order 66 Saga shenanigans? I certainly think so. Um, you know, Dave and I have talked about this. It's like, Saga is the greatest D20 system ever created. I'll say it, and until somebody else proves me wrong with a new system, it's going to remain so. There's things that you need a D20 system to do that an abstract system like FFGs can't do. Things like Delves. <laughs> Which is basically a three-hour homage to a mini war game, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, on a time limit. You know, where it, it's all about the strategy and the tactical movement and everything that D twenty systems do so well. Um, you know, so things like delves, things like the Black Nova Gambit, that's going to have to be Saga. And I really want to run it again next year because we had an absolute blast running it this past year and the year before that. So. I hope that answers your question, Lise. Mm-hmm. Outlaw Night Zero, where are you from? That's what I need to know. Are you New Zealander? I don't remember. His first and potentially only Gen Con. Yeah, I know. But don't wait for the translation. Answer us now. 
<laughs> the caper. Oh, Massachusetts. Oh, dude, you're within driving distance. <laughs> Depends on if it's Boston. <laughs> ba- Boston. And, okay, Z, you know enough people on the forums to be able to secure a room cheap. You can room with people. Oh, Ohio is easy. I mean, come on. Well, he was there. Come on he now. was he was there this year. Yeah, he was. So, um, but yeah, dude, you can you can work out rooming arrangements. I mean, you can have four people to a room. Your hotel cost is minimal, and mm-hmm. uh, and you can get there easy. You can get there easy. It's okay. It's going to cost you gas and vacation. So it's going to cost mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. I S Destroyer is Destroyer, man. He destroy. Um, you know, uh, have I told you that my wife is going to go to Gen Con next year? You did mention it was a possibility. What is your wife going to do at Gen Con? She decided that she wants to be our face woman in the booth. Yes. (laughs) I've told her to prepare herself for something she's never seen. That's going to be interesting. I know. A gaggle of gamers. <laughs> she might have to compete with TG for the face woman concept. Well, I know, I know that, that that was what she said. She said between the two of them that it uh, would probably help us. <laughs> you know, of course, so. TG will probably be too busy demoing her game. Maybe, maybe, maybe we got to. We'll keep you informed, guys. We have obviously Gamer Nation Studios has a couple of projects coming to Kickstarter in the short term, yep. um, and one of them is a game actually brainchilded by TG. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see if we can't get it funded. I'm pretty excited about it. It's a great concept. It really is, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm 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 pretty solid. And for those of you who don't know TG very well, TG is like okay. When I brainchilded a game, it was beer and pretzels card game, you know, totally tongue in cheek, and it was Edition Wars. My wife's favorite games include things like Power Grid. Uh, <laughs> Catan, um, uh, Carcassonne, uh, you know, uh, uh, you, you can, you can go on. Um, but it, it, we're, we're talking heavy abstract strategy style game. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my wife's style of game and that's what mm-hmm. she's going to make or yeah. come oh, up yeah. with what we're going to make with her. Yes. So yeah, very, very cool. Very cool. Oh, I think well, that's it now. Especially now that my dog has decided to take refuge go. under the table that I'm sitting at and start playing with his chew toy that squeaks. I uh, would expect that that probably will end the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, looking forward to many more episodes, guys. Good night and good luck.